Hey, Darren, is this rumor going around that you've got a new podcast? Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's Trexperts adjacent. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fun thing. Uh, you know, we what all is know, it? We all, it's called the Weirded Beardos. Yeah. And before you react, uh, it's, uh, it's Kirk Thatcher, our uh, favorite punk on the bus and myself just talking about stuff, talking but about I hate our, him. You don't hate him. No, I'm kidding. I'm doing a oh. song from Star Trek 4. I oh, hate you, right? right, right, right. I hate I you. Hate I berate you. you. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But I don't yes, berate yes. him and I don't hate him. And if no. he's involved with you, then I love you. Well, thanks. Um, and, you know, it's, it's basically just us talking about sort of uh, all things related to our history years? of working in the industry. You know, oh. together we have like 78 years of experience working in the in the uh, entertainment biz. I'm going to have to uh, listen to that. I thought it was about maintaining your beards or something. It has nothing to do with beards, actually, which is uh, kind of funny. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's fun. We just, we basically hang out for an hour every other week. So, uh, come and join us. Look for, uh, uh, the Weirded Beardos on Spotify. If you just want to hear the audio and, uh, we're actually on YouTube as well. The Weirded Beardos. Great. Can't wait to check it out. Thanks. First, uh, start of the right and straight on till morning. The Trexperts are back on the road again as we're our back. glorious. We're, we're back, back, baby. We're back. The Inglorious Live Tour continues back. in 2024, and we're visiting some great cities near you, so don't miss a chance to get exclusive Trexperts merchandise, autograph posters, and see us moderate conversations with the biggest stars in the Trek universe coming to a galaxy or at least a city near you this year, including Richmond, Virginia, Anaheim, California for WonderCon, Oklahoma City, May 24th through 26th, San Diego, California, for Comic-Con with Mark and Ashley, July 24th to 28th. But if Mark and Ashley aren't your cup of tea, well, where are they going to find you, Darren? Well, I'm going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina, July 25th through 28th. Me only. Wow. It's the Trexpert tour. You get Darren all to yourself. Yeah, and right. then we'll all be reuniting, and it feels so good, in San Jose, California, August do you know the way? the 18th. I do I know the way. way to San Jose. And maybe we'll go up north to look for the nuclear vessels while we're there. Well, and we're bringing it on all home in Columbus, Ohio, December 6th to the 8th. So if you want to know what guests will be joining us and how to get tickets, go to galaxycon.com, comic-con.org, or trexpressplus.com. You'll be glad you did. We'll see you around the galaxy. Join us. Next year. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And once again, joining us for the final hour of our 10 episode marathon, it's Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, I can't believe that this is the 10th episode. We're finally here. Well, you know, I can't believe that uh, that that time runs differently in Mark's universe. <laughs> this is the final hour. It may be the tenth episode. It may be the tenth episode. But the tenth hour was like six episodes back, man. <laughs> I know this is going to be like the final episode of the Prisoner. Like there are some people are going to love it, 
And of some our, people are going to hate it. There are more hours of our holiday special than there are of Star Trek Picard. Do you understand that? We are like the sixth longest running Star Trek show of all time. <laughs> That's just the holiday special. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Trek Trekspert should have been in Star Trek's best season then. Um, speaking of which, we got a real treat to wrap it up tonight. We, 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 um, we know a lot of you are wondering what our final, our final top 10 list is going to be. We started with seasons. We continue with villains. We did books. We did, uh, we followed that up with uh, merchandise pop culture references we did um uh, the the wonderfully received music episode followed by aliens quotes and then finally underrated episodes and we tie it all together much like the dude's rug tied his room together <laughs> with our final episode on what else could it be the best inglorious trexperts episodes a little the bit of best. self-referential listings yes it's very meta it's going to be very meta but uh, but Another before way. we do that, there, there's so many lists that we didn't get to do. And I want to do just a little round robin lightning round. We haven't prepared for this at all. No. Uh, not, not, like, not unlike any Boy, other. haven't we? But we really haven't prepared. So I want to just run some lists by you. And it's almost like when we do honorary mentions to get everybody to just weigh in off the top of their mind. Had we done this list, what would have gotten their vote? So I'm going to start with you, Rob. Ten most fanatical Starfleet officers. What would have been your number one? Oh, dude, I hate to even announce this. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Peter Weller. Ooh, in, 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 <laughs> in Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, in Into Darkness, really? I thought you were going to say Peter Weller in Enterprise. No, no he was great in wrong. Enterprise. No, I'm, I'm saying and he was it fanatical because. But he wasn't a Starfleet officer. Right. Yeah, you, right. You mean the Starfleet officer who had a model of the super top secret starship <laughs> on his desk. I was going to point that out. I mean, yeah, he, what, what, what a chump that guy was. And, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Peter Weller fan. That's I mean, Dr. Peter Weller. I, uh, yes, Dr. Peter, I, who I love. I love Peter Weller, but you know, I, my disdain for Star Trek Into Darkness knows no bounds. So, <laughs> and the fact that they put him in a redolent Admiral's uniform from the motion picture, even just, just add insult to injury. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that was not how I expected us to start off. Uh, no. Ashley Miller, <laughs> what's your most uh, fanatical Starfleet officer? Well, um, oh. Uh, uh, Captain Maxwell. Captain Maxwell from the wounded. Yeah. Oh, the wounded. Not so wounded as we were led to believe. The wounded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. I don't know if he was really fanatical. He was right, though. But like, but he was right. You know, and usually the fanatical right. ones. He was the best right about the fanatical me. ones are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there are people who are more fanatical. I mean, it's like, is he more fanatical? Then Terry O'Quinn and the Eddington. Pin, pin, pin. Oh, Eddington, he's, you're changing your vote. Yes, I'm changing my vote. Eddington was so fanatical he you left. You can't pull a mark on this one. Yes, I can. Sure, he can because he's he hasn't been. It's he's my not turn. prepared. It's like Mr. Atos <laughs> has not prepared him, so That's he's right. going to library without knowing anything about what's happened. What's library? <laughs> he's just like he's like what? I have to answer these questions that I haven't prepared for off the top of my head. Oh my gosh! Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. No way. 
No way. But uh, okay, so those are two. Those are two interesting answers. Eddington is a good answer. Krull himself, Ken Marshall. Um, but uh, he wasn't Krull though. Krull no, was the pilot, he was the, right? uh, the hero. Yeah, no, Krull yeah. was. Yeah. What, what was his name in Krull? Fuck if I know. Um, <laughs> his name was Fuck. That's not a good name for no, a PG no, no. movie. I, uh, sorry, um, Lieutenant uh, Fuck, come uh, to the uh, bridge. His his name was Dave. Dave in the Glaive. That's the that's the kids' cartoon spinoff. By the way, I, I want to give a shout out to Dave Doctorman. Dave Doctorman is the um, uh, brother of Darren Doctorman, and uh, let me put the it this King way: the King of Christmas, the King of Christmas. He is Santa Claus. He is Shatner Claus. He he brought it. You know, uh, Dave uh, joined us at the uh, Vegas uh, Star Trek convention this year, and uh, you know. I got to hang out with the Trexperts because he's a lovely guy. We're happy to have him. He's Darren's brother. But to his credit, to thank us for our hospitality, he sent us. What did he send us, Ashley? He sent us deep dish pizzas, real Chicago deep dish pizzas from Chicago. From, from, from Chicago. Lou Malnati's? Yes, from Lou yeah. Malnati's. I was waiting yeah. for, for Mark to fill in the Lou Malnati's. Well, I, I, well, I know you were, but I thought it was Geno's East. But no. I realize it's not. So uh, <laughs> that's I okay. It's like Pete Hot Whistle. But I, I just got to say, um, now that's how you take care of the boys. That's that's what you do. Right. That's uh, good. Good. And my good boys took care of the pizzas. Let me just. Oh, oh yeah, it was delicious. I know you can't have it because you're uh, yeah. you're uh, on keto, but um, I have piranha that live in my house, and they just a, a pizza goes in the water, and they just. I just have to gone. say it was it was great. Okay, so Darren, most yes. fanatical Starfleet officer. Well, I I got to go with uh, Captain Ron Tracy of the Exeter. Um, of course, from the Omega uh, Glory. From the Omega Glory, one of my uh, uh, guilty pleasures. Yeah, uh, yeah, and indeed. Morgan Woodward as uh, Ron Tracy is amazing and crazy and and uh, not evil, but he is uh, maniacal, and I love it. Oh. And he's uh, committed, every, like you hear every moment he's on screen, especially when he's uh, uh, dueling with uh, Shatner, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say John Gill in Patterns of Force, but I know how well Space Nazis went over with our listeners. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to go with John Gill because it's a new year. I'm hoping Nazis won't be as prevalent this year. Um, that uh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give them any attention. So instead, I ask, what about Finney? Ben Finney. You know, he wanted yeah. the Enterprise. He, he, him and Janet Last Lester would have made a great couple. They blamed everything on Captain Kirk. All their failure. They were, they were terrible. They, they, they had no way they could run a starship. But they both thought that it was Kirk that was standing in their way. What you know, if, what if Ben Finney had been put into, uh, switched uh, consciousness with Janice Lester? How would that have been? Rob, that would Rob, have been that's got to be a novel, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's Finney, Finney and Lester team up to take down Kirk. No, 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 no. Thank God. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's done I'm it. I'm sure Come Janice Lester, it, it was a turnabout again. <laughs> it's somebody must have done something with that. Did you know? Jeff Bond write a short story where all of, um, all of, uh, for, for one of those new, new voyage editions where, where a bunch of uh, his nemesis. Yes. Uh, teamed up against uh, 
Captain Kirk. Do yes. you remember that, Darren? Yes. Uh, who, who I think was it was. It? I think it was uh, several of the of the uh, inmates of uh, uh, was it Corey's uh, uh, asylum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right, Corey. Key, Key Luke. Yes, Key Luke. <laughs> you can yeah. snatch the pebble from my hand. It's time to go. Key lime pie. Yes, Key. Uh, speaking of Jeff Bond, I got to say the response to the music episode from a few weeks ago was phenomenal as people just love that episode and i gotta give a special shout out to mark rivera who just added the music it was just perfectly integrated to that episode but uh we we and next next week we're going to be doing the wrap-up post-mortem we'll talk more about uh where um our listeners thought we got it right where we got it wrong but we we've gotten you know so many emails uh, uh and and comments about uh that episode about all of them. I mean, I'm, we're not going to be able to read, you know, nearly all the all the comments that we've gotten because there, there's just so many. And and uh, but the music episode seemed to be uh, the the anecdotally the favorite so far. But but who knows? Look, it may a, not be a four hour episode. Is not our longest one, so we can read as many of them as we want. There you go. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's that's true. Okay, so that's our our most fanatical. So if we were doing Star Trek ships. Star Trek ships. Uh, I got to ask. Uh, I'm going to look at Darren. Darren, what, what, what would you be on your number one on your Star Trek ship? Um, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, it, there's, it, there's, there's only Darren one. Document. There's only one. There, there there's can only be only one. one. It's like the Highlander. The it USS McCloud. That's right. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's it's the USS McClunky. <laughs> you know what? No, I think it's, if the, I start- it's the motion right. picture Enterprise. The yeah, refit. Right. That's there's, the only answer. There's no comparison. That's right. There is no comparison. We, I, I think we there all agree no about that, don't we, Ashley? We all agree oh, about yeah. that? No okay, question. So, so let's all, we'll, we'll just, that's a given, right? And then number two is the, the, the TV Constitution uh-huh. class enterprise, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, then number three yeah, the is animated another. enterprise. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then number, number four is the Defiant. Number five is the Exeter. Right. <laughs> number six is the Constellation. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> to fill out the list, uh, what would be one more ship that you would want to uh, acknowledge in your oh, best I think Star the, Trek ships? The, the Reliant is a good choice. Yeah. Right. The Reliant. That's a good one. You know what? I, I would put the Galileo. I love the Galileo. I love the shuttlecraft. That's not a starship, though. It's a mini I didn't say starship. I said ship. It goes to planets. Best okay. Star Trek ships. All right. I'm just, starship. I'm, you just heard what you to, want to I'm just used to the SmackDown, so uh, forgive me. But we're not, oh, okay. Fair enough. You're, well, you're used to SmackDown. Yeah. I get that. I get that. <laughs> the well, Galileo will not win in SmackDown. It I got will it. not well, win. No, it you, will not. You got it. No, no, I don't think it can be. Unless it, oh. you know, it, it encounters Fire the Murasaki effect. Oh, I'm sorry. I misspelled. It's the Galileo. 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 The Galileo Steven. Yes. We would, we would at honorary mention go to Space Dock because apparently Space Dock is the only thing that could stand in the way of the marauding uh, invasion of Earth. Space Dock <laughs> is stupid. I will never vote for Space Dock in anything. Okay. Wow. That's harsh. The big mushroom headed space station. Wow. You really, you never, you never liked, you never liked Space Dock. I never liked Space Dock. You never will. And I never will. <laughs> do you like regular one? Let's do space stations now. K seven like, like wins. K seven is great. Nine, suck it. Eh, no. K seven. K seven. And, and the space office complex is wonderful. I've always loved that. Yeah, I can't Rob, pick. Rob, deep, go ahead. Well, I can't pick Deep Space Nine because it's built by the Cardassians. Yeah. So Not true. 
You know, so I I I, I love K seven if I have to pick a station. On our list, it's Tarok Not. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. or, or I would or I would take. I don't know if you could call it, the, but the the pod thing from Beyond the Furthest Star. Oh yeah, I was that, I always yeah, love that. I do too. I always loved it. You know, the pod thing, the insectoid starship. Yeah, the insectoid starship. I I don't know what that is, but uh, I love that. We are the insectoids. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're only safe when you're in this room at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, best best Star Trek planet, Ashley. What would be the best Star Trek planet? I mean, Vulcan. Come on. Why? It's, it, it's hot as Vulcan. It's too hot. This humidity. Because is hot. It, there's no look, air If there's going to be Vegas in space, it should be on Vulcan. You know, it's like it's the desert. It's the middle of nowhere. There's no reason for it to exist. It's highly illogical, and that's the logic of it. Well, and the odds are completely accurate. Thank hey, you. Rob. We know what your answer is going to be. I'm not going to say Risa. Nah, I thought you were going to say Risa. Okay. Uh, I am the not just say planet. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the <Edo> planet. <laughs> no, but 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 that 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 is along that that goes the along. Uh, Angel one. <laughs> no, keep but, with- but keep going. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't planet. think. I don't think uh, I'm going to tell you my what planet I want to be on, and that planet is. Sigma Draconis, Sigma Draconis 7. I know. You guys are wondering what that is. Sigma Draconis I, I, 7. I remember the name. I can't remember the episode. Draconis. Uh, do you know who lives the there? Dragon planet. Dracarus is the planet. <laughs> you know who lives on Sigma Draconis 7? Is it show A bunch up? of go-go booted hotties. That are givers of pain and delight. Oh, oh that's Fox yes. Green. Yes. <laughs> we we um, should have our Trexpert card revoked. I'm going to Sigma Draconis 7 to get my revoked. freak on. It's the givers of brain and delight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So that's let probably, me see if I got this right. That's a good, that's kind of a goofy answer, but uh, you know. It is. Oh, actually, where I would really. goofy question. I would go to the Guardian, Guardian of Forever's planet because I could go mm. anywhere I wanted once I got there. Yeah, you could go anywhere and screw up history for everybody. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't. Good job, uh, Rob. Uh, I would go back and I would I would tell my young self to like buy certain stocks, <laughs> invest in this, so you can have a career later. You wouldn't get the sports book. Yeah, like uh, yeah, can. the almanac. Like, yeah, yeah I would go almanac. back and hand myself a list of comics to make sure I did not miss. Mm. Because there were a couple I wished I had grabbed, and I saw them and I didn't. She's like, just just get him, kid. I would have gone to buy a hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin when it was new, and then I could sell it for sixty thousand dollars a piece, <laughs> or buy a pizza with it, and be billion, be be a billionaire multiple times over. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I I go with Sigma Osha too because I like gangster movies. That's that's true. Fair. That's true. I like pieces. That's of a action. fun planet. It is fun planet. They got hotties it's there a too. Planet. It's a planet. <laughs> it's a bug planet. We're going back to pee. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we just pee here? Big K. <laughs> I mean, Rob. Rob had a few more he could have done. He could have done Argelius. He could have done Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Rob wasn't done. I well, yeah. I, I could have kept going. Yeah. Where I could, wherever I could find Susan Oliver, I'd go. What's the planet for Picard, the Blade Runner planet? 
Oh, it's Metallus Prime, right? It's Metallus Prime, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The Blade yeah. Runner planet. The Blade that was cool. <laughs> yeah. They had hotties yeah. there in bars. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Vulcan City. Headless Ferengi. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy. Me too. I yeah. loved him. I, you know, uh, yeah, he's in so, fringe. Yeah. He's, he's so good. And I, I have to tell you, you know, uh, when he says that, it, that criminal, why can't criminal enterprises or something be logical? You know, I'm like, right. you go, you go, that brother. Was awesome. It One was awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was a great, great bad Vulcan. For about very naughty minutes, that that would have been a holiday movie instead of Bad Santa, Bad Vulcans. <laughs> I go see that. Bad, bad Vulcans, Vulcans in Go Go Boots. Next on Star that. Trek. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, those, those are uh, those are interesting uh, interesting planets. Um, any 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 any, uh, any other Star Trek planets that you get that are exciting that you would put on? Well, Omicron Seti Three, of course. The home well, of the spores. You can, you can go to Sarpedon. Yeah, there you go. Hang around and look in the library and look for well, fun you, places to visit. You uh, have a library you, smackdown. It's Memory Alpha versus Sarpedon. <laughs> Which library is cooler? We could go to Eden. Yeah, brother. They've got like crazy hippie chicks there. Be awesome. Yeah, but you can't eat anything. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but I'm keto, so it doesn't matter. And the oh. and the grass is acid. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd rather go to the Eden Planet in Star Trek Five than the Eden My Planet. Is like a cherry. <laughs> There's nothing to eat in that Eden Planet either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it's it's a little desolate. It's a little desolate. The key is there is no Eden. You know, paradise is only what you right. make it. You, That's you can't, right. Can't can't expect to just have a planet like that. Okay, so uh, now, now here's a question that you're gonna really hate. Best Star Trek relatives. Best Star Trek relatives. Ashley, what would that pick be for you? Jake Sisko. Oh. Yes. You Jake know, I'm Sisko. Jake. Uh, I was going to change my mind to dad, but uh, because that, that's probably the right answer, honestly. There are no right answers. So, See? yeah. So, dad says, Papa Sisko. Because you guys are so mean on the show. You say nasty things about things you don't like. That's just mean. That's not like Star Trek fans do. Sure they do all oh, the time. Yeah. <laughs> my final answer is Papa Cisco. Where are these we don't really from? we don't really love this stuff. We only talk for hours about this yeah. nonsense. But we, we don't we don't love it. Yeah. Uh we have our fan cards taken Four away. Four hours revoked. on a damn podcast. Just been yeah. revoked. Um so uh so Robert, what about you? What's your family relative? Ashara Yar. Showing. <laughs> oh, you just like her because she looks like Linda Hamilton. Oh man, I'd go for Ashara Yar. I'd put up a Turkana four if I had to, uh, if I could, you know, go rescue a little Ashara action. If you know what I'm saying, and I think you do. Oh, God, unfortunately, we do, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> She's a hottie. Oh. Wow. We we we, we uh, okay. And then what about uh, Dad? Don't you have a favorite uh, Star Trek relative? I do. And uh, yeah. he's from TOS, and he's George Samuel Kirk. In other words, Shatner with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and that may be the uh, the shortest on-screen appearance of any Star Trek relative. Yeah, what was it about a second and a half? Uh, something like that. Yeah. To be uh, yeah. to be honest, I mean, Ashari Yar is, of course, you know, uh, I'm not kidding, but my favorite Star Trek relative of all is Sarek. Yeah, oh, well, I, yeah, yeah, I guess. Absolutely. Can, yeah, that's fair. 
He's my favorite. <laughs> you sound like you guys are like, oh yeah. I mean, it, does he count? I mean, you mean Spock's dad? Yes, he counts. <laughs> is he hot? Is he fun? No, he's, he's almost. The thing is, he's I, almost a regular. He's I almost a regular. Yeah. Sarek Vulcan. So I didn't realize there was an asterisk on this category. Best Star Trek relative asterisk. Who's not a, a, a regular? Well, <laughs> right. This is why you know he's always a regular. He was in one episode of the original series. Does, okay, here's a question. One then. episode of Next Gen. If if that's the rule, Ooh. then look, nobody would ever pick Wesley Crusher. But is Wesley Crusher? Could you pick a Crusher, any Crusher, and say it's a relative of a regular? Or could you pick? Well, we haven't finished the list, but there's a pretty good relative that I'm employing. We're not gonna finish the list. You're right. You're no, not. So well this is the introductory portion of the show, so we're not gonna yeah. finish it. Yes. Yeah, Jack Crusher. He's great. Oh yeah. You mean, are you talking about Jack Crusher from uh, Family, from or are you generation. talking about Jack Crusher from, from, next, from Picard? From Picard. Oh. Yeah, he's great. He is Ed great. Spielers. Yeah. Ed Spielers, yeah, he's great. But Jack Crusher was good in um, in Family, the episode of Next Generation yes, as well. Yes, he was. As Wesley's dad, who had a bunch of advice for his young son, which he didn't take. Right. Instead, I'm going to become a traveler, and I'm going to explore the galaxy. Become the most obnoxious uh, kid in the world. Well, maybe um, the maybe the traveler is the best relative. I mean, think of the favor that yeah. the traveler did to Star Trek. Because what he did was <laughs> he showed up and look. We want to make sure that you can't come back. <laughs> we're just gonna just we're not just writing you out of the show. We're writing you out of reality. Oh, that's to, mean. You know what George Takai is saying right now was Sulu not a. I'm a captain now. You know, I have a daughter. And he's, you you guys... know what he's saying? He's saying, don't pronounce my name that way. <laughs> he's on my list. Takai, Takai <laughs> means expensive. Takai <laughs> means my name. <laughs> well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Kern from uh, from um, yep. Sins of Good the call. Father. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and uh, Redemption and all that. Tony fun. Todd. Tony, great. great Tony Todd. He was a great family relative. My guy, you know, as as was Lal, Data's daughter. Uh, that's right. You know what she was? No, she, she was, was good. good. No, she wasn't. She so was. Darren wants to go with Sam Rockwell as Sam Kirk. He is biting that female. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Sam Rockwell as as Guy Fleetman in Strange New World. <laughs> oh my God, man! If like if they committed to that, it would be my favorite thing. I mean, <laughs> but they they won't commit to it. I just want them to commit to it. If they did, <laughs> yeah. it would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I don't see that happening. Um, well, those are those are some fun, fun, fun ca- little categories that we could have done but didn't. We could have the fun in a way. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, because we got to go to this week's actual list. This week's actual because it is the big, the big finale. It's and the I Kappa. have to say, it's the Kappa, and uh, I have the five beta Kappa, and I have to say. That um, you know, I had real worries about how we would, uh, what we would do because you know these these um, holiday specials have really become an important part of uh, a lot of our listeners. You know, they say it's a real highlight of the year for them, and at the end of it, a, a, a terrible year that this was a bright light for them. I mean, it was really. We'll we'll, we'll read some of those letters next week, but um, uh, but I have to say, I wasn't sure we could deliver. We were really struggling. Like after everything we've done, how do we come up? And I think that this was an unmitigated success, this this 10 by 10 list. Until tonight. 
So, well, I, uh, you know, could, the, it just makes me fear for next year. That's all. Me too. I should have quit the show when I had a chance. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> now you can't. You're no, committed. I, can't. I am. I'm committed. I should be committed is what I should be. Um, okay. So this week we're doing only we <laughs> would do this. Um, the daring, the chutzpah, the, 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 the outrageousness. Um, we are doing the top 10 Trexperts episodes of all time been doing this for a little over five years now obviously this year's holiday special is not eligible but uh, we're going to do the top 10 trexperts episodes of all time and maybe this is a way to encourage you to go back and look through the back catalog or revisit some of our classic episodes it's the or top not. it's the top 100 list of star trek relatives <laughs> <laughs> it's the top 10 star trek podcast oh <laughs> well, you, you really don't want to hear us talk about that Okay, so um, starting with number 10 on our list of the best Trexperts episodes, I look to you, Darren Docterman, to tell us what our 10th best episode was. Well, considering you brought up Kern, uh, there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing more related than our uh, escapades with David Addy, who wrote uh, the, uh, uh, the wonderful book about sci-fi fonts. Uh, typeset of the future. It's typeset in the future. Uh, the title of the episode was Type Trek, the Font Frontier. And we did a deep, deep, deep dive into typesetting and fonts and text design and all sorts of uh, wonderful avenues of learning and fun and uh, hours and hours of fun in front of a glowing CRT screen. <laughs> so I, as part of working on the book, I got to speak to a couple of people who do, this is the day job for them. They, they design and typography and know mm -hmm. the history for, for a living. Uh, Stephen Coles from the uh, from Letterform Archive and Antonio Cavadoni, who's a, he's the big expert on the guy who designed Eurostar World Extended. Right. And the, the thing that they both noted is that it's actually a lot of the a lot of the typefaces that we see as futuristic. Uh, Eurostar is one of them, or the bold version, but also Bank Gothic, which is the other stretchy right. one that everybody uses. They were actually originally designed to be used at incredibly small sizes. Uh, so right. uh, Antonio is Italian, and he told me that microgrammar is essentially literally Italian for small weight. It was designed right. to be used at like six points, so tiny, tiny sizes. And because they were designed to be used so small, they actually have very kind of flavorful um, angles that mean that you they've got really angled edges so that they don't bleed at small sizes. Right. And, they've got and then a you lot can of identify the letters even at small. Exactly. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, you know, we now put them on the side of spaceships and sure. full-size movie screens across the full width, but they were really designed to be small. And it gives them this kind of extra flavor that you maybe don't get for a, a normal use typeface, mm -hmm. but you do with these. Um, it is, uh, it's one of those things that if you hear the description of the episode, you think, well, that sounds really stupid. How could they do that? And yet we had an amazing hour with, uh, with Mr. Addy. And it was, uh, for a, for an audio only, uh, excursion, it, it wasn't bad actually. Um, and, uh, we got a lot of, uh, of, uh, high praise from our audience out there because uh, we dared to tackle this subject. And uh, I know myself being a, uh, a font Nazi, 
don't don't call me that in person. Uh, but it is um, amazingly interesting for those of us who uh, enjoy the minutia of uh, design and especially sci-fi movies because it's uh, it's really a fascinating dive. Well, who doesn't yeah, love the- Comic Sans? I mean, everyone. Everyone. <laughs> the book the book is great the, the, his book about typeset but i wasn't sure it would make a really good episode but um i just i was so fascinated and at the time was running out of ideas for the show <laughs> and, and that was three years I, ago yeah i fell in love with that book i mean rob isn't it ridiculous that we did a show devoted to typeset to type the type the fonts of the future the fonts well, of star trek well, I, I don't think so because a lot of the uh, the fonts, both the original series logo, the Next Generation logo, these are iconic. I mean, <laughs> saying that word again, um, <laughs> they they truly are. I mean, the Star mm. Trek the Star Trek font is unmistakable. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter when you you can see it, you know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that especially. Especially in the later seasons, like the the uh, Kudas and Doug Drexler and the that art department, um, Herman Zimmerman, there was always a lot of thought put into fonts in Star Trek, and um, I think that was a great episode to do. Plus, that yeah, book is that book's badass. Isn't that a badass book? I mean, it's a yeah. big coffee table book, and it's really well designed as you would expect it to be, and it deals with the fonts from all these great science fiction movies. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect. I, you know, if anyone would listen to it, but we got a great, a great response and, and it did well for us. So that was, uh, that was good. Okay. So that was number 10. Uh, and then that brings us to number nine. This was a somewhat controversial episode. I, I guess that's pretty redundant because a lot of our episodes are controversial, but this was Kirk out the not so greatest generation with Brian Ford Sullivan. I do want to try to emphasize the positive. I think that generally speaking, the performances were really good given the material. I think that's almost a gimme though. Um, I, I think in spite of occasionally overdoing it, I think that John Alonzo shot a really beautiful movie. I think like, again, the bridge of the enterprise never looked better. Um, you know, I think the special effects look great. Um, there were a couple of like really great sequences when they were taken like just by themselves. It was fun to see fun. It was fun to see <laughs> Captain Kirk and Captain Picard um, together. But I, I think when you said that it's like, you know, it's about the sum of its parts, like not the whole, I can, I can get my head around that, um, that response to the, to the movie. Um, it's just, I, I look at it and what I, what I do not see is a movie. I, I barely see a coherent two-part episode. Um, it, you know, it's, it, 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 that's, that's fundamentally my issue. Also, I hate the uniforms, but. <laughs> uh, Brian Ford Sullivan was the former couch critic. More recently, he was a writer for such TV shows as Arrow. And um, it was interesting because he had come to Darren and I when we were um, uh, 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 guests at the uh, Skirball Center. Right. where we were in conversation about the uh, two trick pilots, the cage and where no man has gone before. He said, and he started talking about how he's a huge fan of Star Trek generations and how would we have him on the show to defend the movie? And we said, look, we'll have you on the show to, def- 
to attempt to defend the movie. I said, but we're not going to we're, we're not going to go easy on you. I mean, you know, that's not the show. And I said, as long as you think you can handle the heat, then you're welcome to, you know, you're welcome to join us, uh, you know, because I don't want anybody leaving, you know, I guess to feel, you know, like we we we've done them wrong. Like we brought them here under false pretenses. Like, I don't care if somebody at home is like offended that we've said something, but I, I don't want our guests who, you know, is spending an hour or two hours or six hours with us, uh, you know, to feel like somehow aggrieved that we've somehow pulled a fast one, but Brian got it. He, 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 and to his credit, he did a, a wonderful job of attempting to defend that movie. And we had a lot of fun. And it was uh, it, it stirred up a lot of conversation because, admittedly, there are a lot of people that really like that movie. And as I've said before, to me, I think it's a lot of people for whom that movie was their first Star Trek movie. Of course, you know they grew up on Next Generation, watching it with their parents, and then they got to see their first Star Trek movie in a the theater, and it was Generations, and it holds a special place in their heart. And look, uh, you know, there's a, a place for nostalgia in Star Trek, clearly, but. Um, you know, it's. I think as we say with Star Trek Three, there's a difference between thinking something's good and enjoying something, right? I Leave any people, nostalgia in your quarters. There's no room for know, it here on the bridge. I, I think that's a, <laughs> uh, um, that's something we try to to differentiate. I think it, it, it was Star Trek Three where we say where people are a mis under the misapprehension that we somehow hate that movie, which couldn't no. be further from the truth. We don't like it because <laughs> it's not good. But we enjoy it for what it is, you know, but it's two different things. You know, you can enjoy things that aren't good. You can enjoy Spock's brain and not think it's good. Right. Um, So, um, you know, there's nothing wrong. If this show has taught people one thing, it's that approaching Star Trek with critical acumen is, is a good thing. It's not a disservice. You're not being a bad fan. You're not gatekeeping not to like something. If right, you can right, articulate right. why you don't like it, and you're not but, telling people you shouldn't, like I wouldn't say, don't watch Generations, don't not like Generations. That's two-dimensional think, thinking. I just think it's a terrible movie, and I think to our credit, we did a very good job of articulating why it's not a good movie. Yeah. Uh, look, the 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 end thing is that there are so many facets of Star Trek for people to love and also for people to dislike. That's what makes it a great subject. That's what makes it a great number of shows. And the more discussion you can have between thinking fans and reasoning fans uh, is exciting and worth the trip. That's what conventions were for in the first place. You know? That's what it's all about. That's, that's why we're aboard yeah. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think a good episode. But Rob, I got to ask you for number eight. Uh, this was a terrific episode uh, about sort of an underserved aspect of Star Trek history. There are all kinds of rumors and, and speculation and clickbait um, websites that talk about this. But really, this was a chance to do a deep dive into a subject that I think always financed, uh, fascinated us. And of course, it was with a really wonderful, articulate fascinating uh, uh, um, writer. And uh, that's our number eight pick. If you could tell us what it was. Well, it's David Lowry, right? 
That's right. School and days. The David Academy Lowry, the, the Academy Years Revisited, which we talked about, the Starfleet Academy that Harv Bennett always wanted to do. And um, and also he wrote Star Trek V. Let's talk about let's talk about the script. Um, tell <laughs> us a little bit about the Academy Year. And again, a lot of people it's 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 erroneously referred to by a lot of people as Starfleet Academy. And it's not Starfleet Academy. It's Star Trek, the Academy Years. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> the, the title on my title page that I always used was Star Trek, the First Adventure. Mm. It became the Academy Years, I think, down the line when Harv kind of decided that he was going to really get behind it and push himself as, as, as director. Um, so I, I just actually, uh, actually, I was writing it and I just called it Space Academy, just so nobody would really know what it was, right. you know. And and in some ways, that was my initial attraction to it because, um, you know, as a kid, you know, there were these books, Tom Corbett, you know, Space Cadet, sure. and you know, there were a lot of these kinds of shows and things that were about, you know, young, you know, cadets in outer space, and so. Even though this was, you know, part of the Star Trek universe, I was really attracted to that world, too, of sort of gadgets and gizmos and, and ray guns and aliens and so forth. And the concept that I had was that if Star Trek, the original series, was the future as seen through the 1960s, then this movie should be sort of a retro 1950s version of the, wow, of the exactly. future. Yeah. So that's why there's, th you know, why we're in, in this story anyway. We don't, the transporters haven't been invented. It's still kind of rocket ships, right. you know, right. and it's forbidden planet. Yeah, and and that's what attracted me to it because I could sort of simplify it. I could identify with that time and that era, and then use, you know, the things that we all kind of remember from those kinds of movies, and we've seen thousands of movies before. Top Gun and, you know, with, uh, you know, with cadets graduating and that whole, there, there's a story there that fits into place mm -hmm. for almost any kind of uh, approach to, to this. So I was very attracted to making it kind of uh, a retro uh, Star Trek. So he did. It, it was. And. Go ahead. No, it was just, it was, I thought that was a really great and really great informative episode. I really enjoyed that. And he was. Um, he was a delight, very smart, articulate guy. I think what's amazing is here we are 30, 35 years since he wrote that script. And you could still see the pain that he has. Sure, it would be. Not get right. That it never got made. You know, he still resents, you know, the fact that um, the studio didn't make it, that the cast fought it tooth and nail. And I, I, I wouldn't say he's bitter because he's gone on, had a, a successful career. But, you know, it, it, it tasks him. And I think we've all been there. We've had projects that we really believed in that didn't happen. And it can be very frustrating. And I think you, you see that with David, but he also was very great at explaining what that movie would have been and, uh, you know, sort of the Santa Fe trail in space and, and also how it was very different from what Star Trek 2009 was in terms of a prequel. Yeah. Um, Ashley, what'd you think of David Lowry? Great, man. I mean, Look, I mean, and part of it is my my empathy for any writer who has been through this process and, uh, you know, and put, you know, his heart and soul into something and then it just doesn't happen. Um, or in his case, it's just wildly misunderstood 
or it's weaponized by people with an agenda. And in this case, I'm referring to the cast. Um, and look, that will that will happen to you. And the thing that comes across the most to me is just, I don't know if it's, if it is, if I would call it resentment, it's just that kind of sense of, uh, it's a, it's a weird sort of melancholy. It's like an injustice. Um, it's, you know, it's just, it's, he's this, did this thing that he's so proud of and what happened just doesn't feel really fair. He's still proud of it. And that was so funny. It's so interesting because I think we've all had, you know, pilots and feature films that we've gotten paid for to, that didn't get made. And people say, well, you got paid, right? So what do you care? But, there, you know, you do this because you have a passion, because you have a love, theoretically, for a lot of this, you know. And then when it doesn't happen, it, it, it's sad. Like David Lowry got paid to write that script. But there's nothing that can compensate him for not being able to sit in the theater and watch it with an audience. Right. Yeah. No, not at all, man. I mean, it, it's funny because I'm, uh, I realize our sense of time scale and everything is very different when we put these episodes out, but uh, I'm doing very soon an episode of Greatest Movies Never Made with uh, Steve and, and Josh on on The Fall Guy. Mm. And uh-huh. uh, and the, the script that uh, that Zach Stance and I wrote together for The Fall Guy that is not the one that, that got made it was like 10 years ago and man that is like that may be the best goddamn thing we ever wrote period and i love that script up one side and down the other and anything that it seemed like everything was going right and then everything went wrong kind of almost simultaneously at one point we had um, martin campbell and we had the rock and it was and we had a studio and we were going and the next minute it's I remember dead. that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'm so I'm, I'm really surprised him. that you're going on that podcast because you're not the kind to kiss and tell. I'm not, right, but I have been seen with Farah. <laughs> but I was not I was feeding days. her formula or something. I don't right. know. <laughs> but before we move on, you know, I, I this brings up this opens a door that I want to briefly explore because uh, you know we talk about Academy years not going. Both of you guys have been involved with Star Trek projects in various degrees that didn't go. Uh, Rob, uh, many years ago, you were involved with Brian Singer and Chris McQuarrie uh, in pitching a Star Trek uh, series to Paramount that didn't go. And I imagine, you know, this is another example. Well, you know, you never wrote a script. You know, you did put your heart and soul into trying to get that um, pitch made with some very, you know, A-list talent. Uh, What was that like for you? Well, you know, it's really it was interesting because uh, it was during the production of Superman Returns, the post production actually, and and I had gone to Seattle with Brian because that's where Chris McQuarrie lived at the time, and I'm obviously from my hometown, and we would we just had this really long sushi dinner that was soaked with sake, and I sort of brought up <laughs> brought up that you know Enterprise was going off the air, or it had gone off the air, and and wouldn't it be great because they both both McQuarrie and both Brian loved Star Trek. And I said, Brian, you uh, direct it and you, Chris, write it or we could do a whole new series or something. And they both were like, well, that sounds, we should do that. And so I had thrown out this idea. This is so, it was called Star Trek Federation. And I said, what happens when uh, Empire just becomes old? You know, and what would happen if the, the if the show and I said it was set a thousand years in the future? This is back in 2006, and I said, well, what happens when 
you know, the, the, the Federation just hasn't been as well maintained. The Federation spread out across the galaxy and all the dilithium in the galaxy right. has exploded. Yeah, not that. yeah I didn't, that was the, <laughs> I, I still don't understand what the, what that was all about, but you know, like things change, like the, like the Klingon culture had evolved. The Vulcans and the Romulans had reached, they had reunified, um, you know, the Ferengi, all, you, you just, all, everything old is new again. And we would see the galaxy. It was just, it was just evolution. And what would the galaxy be like? And what if the mandate to explore disappeared? You know, the great mm-hmm. age of advancement was sort of over and, and like more bud. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yes. And what would happen? And, and, you know, what would, what would rejuvenate, uh, that civilization? And, it was funny. They're like, that sounds really good. And they were like, that sounds good. So I, I tapped, um, Jeffrey Thorne, who's another, he's a TV writer and he had written a Star Trek. He'd written a Titan novel. And I, I said to him, I threw out these ideas to him and he wrote basically a Bible, uh, to start with. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. I called Mike Akuda up and I said, Hey, can you make me a logo for Star Trek Federation? And he did. And, um, um, then right when we were going to get ready to get serious about it and pitch this thing, it was announced that J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot were taking over Star Trek. And it was like, I can only imagine, because what it was really interesting, Brian was involved in trying to get a new Battlestar Galactica off the ground, and they were very close to getting it off the ground, and that was right before 9-11. 9-11, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and he was, they were really passionate. Guy Hendricks Dias was doing design work, and it was going to be a true sequel to uh, the original Galactic series. The 78 series, series yeah. yeah. And that, again, that didn't happen. It was a really cool, him, uh, Brian and Tom DeSanto were really into doing that. And, you know, it's amazing. I mean, somebody, if you... It, it, whatever movie or TV show you like, know that there was probably 20 iterations of something like it beforehand, you know, and there's so much great unmade work that could have happened. That well, happened. actually, I'm feeling attacked. Yeah, well, I was going to say, actually, <laughs> that, that'll, you know, you've talked about this on the show before, but it's worth bringing up at least briefly because, of course, you collaborated with Bob Orsi on what was hopefully going to be and should have been uh, the third Star Trek uh uh, film in the Abrams verse, and again, you know, so you really could feel Dave Lowry's pain. Oh yeah, we spent a lot of time uh, sitting with Bob and kind of working out um, what we wanted that movie to be, and kind of how we wanted to to pitch it, and kind of what it it needed to do. Um, and uh, you know, then kind of dealing with you know feedback from Skydance and kind of feedback from from JJ and. There, there was a look, man. These things are always sort of crazy with the with the politics and maneuvering. But then, you know, when Bob was no longer going to direct it because you know Bob was having some problems, um, all of that really fell apart. I will say this: uh, no matter what you think about Star Trek two thousand nine or Star Trek Into Darkness, I will say that. Bob is one of us. Like he really, truly loves Star Trek. Oh yeah. And one of the things that he wanted to bring back in the third film was he wanted that sense of of distance, of time, of really giving it like scope and space. That it's not like you know fighters, you know, screaming at each other and blasting away when starships battle. That it's more like Star Trek Two, you know, where you're firing torpedoes and 
there's a lag time between like when you fire and when things hit, that there's strategy, that it feels more like, you know, the master and commander of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of that that was going to go into this this version of it. You know, we were talking about things like, I mean, that this stupid high concept. And again, I've talked about this in detail, so I won't talk about it in detail again. But it was a little bit, a little bit of balance of terror here and a little doomsday machine there. We wanted to use the Romulan commander character, but kind of turn him from adversary into a mentor for a a, a Kirk who never truly properly had one um, as a young captain in this universe. That's Once cool. Pike. But, you know, it just, it, you know, it just, it didn't pan out. And it's always yeah. frustrating. The, the, I don't know if it's a good thing that we, we never wrote the script because I don't know if I would, how I would now feel about it or if I think it's actually better that we didn't write the script. You know what I mean? It's just, it's always, it's always tough because there's so many things like, I mean, I don't want to go into it here, but it's, it, there's just so many things, Rob, that you're so right. It's, you know, look, it, like you said about if uh, there are so many of your your favorite shows and, and movies that there are versions and iterations you've never seen. I probably wrote one of those iterations for every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've been involved. I, well, we we a project that did get made uh, that you wrote. Uh, we saw what happened, which was Agent Cody Banks. Oh my god, dude! And then yeah, she gets made, and it turns into it. I mean, what, what was amazing is that is that here we, you know, I was one of the producers on that project. We brought you and Zach on to write it, and you you took. The first draft of the script was not good, but the idea was good. You wrote this incredible script. Ferris Bueller meets James Bond. But the idea was that somebody forgot to tell Ferris Bueller how to talk to girls. You know, and it was it was this great script. It was like a Bond script. It was so good. And it was definitely targeted for 16 to 24-year-olds. You know, it was the prime movie going audience. And we sold it to MGM. We thought, great. They put it right into production. And then they decide, the studio decided to make it for tweens. For eight to twelve year olds. Now the movie got made, but that's not the. It would have been a franchise that stuck around, not. And the second for I, the, the less said about that second movie, the better. Oof, yeah. Darren, I want to ask you. You know, it's not on this list, but another great episode we did on on produced Star Trek was in the beginning with Eric Jenderson talking yeah. about his Star Trek: The Beginning. Um, I think so that good. could have easily been in this time slot as in this slot as well. Absolutely, um, B- uh, both the episodes that we did with him. Yeah, I mean Eric is just terrific and thoughtful, and terrific. that's a very raw wound as well. You know that not being produced when you hear him talk about it. Okay, and they but, still but, should. They should make that script or his yeah. Odyssey well, idea. It, it it exists and it doesn't contradict anything that uh, is. Um, it's been established. Well, we'll we'll mention that to whoever holds the receipt for Paramount in the. <laughs> yeah, in the yeah exactly. <laughs> it comes with the sale, exactly. Um, okay, and that brings us to number seven, Darren. Number our seven. seventh best episode of Trexperts, and this was a, a sheer delight, wasn't it? It was. It uh, it will startle your senses, challenge your intellect, and alter your perception of the future by taking you there. We had a great talk with Merv Block, the great Merv Block, who had a uh, a, a very uh, small uh, advertising agency that focused on doing advertising for motion pictures uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. 
Uh, I got the assignment from Paramount. Yeah. Um, we've got a very special picture. We are doing, um, you know, the Star Trek first movie. It's going to be called Star Trek the movie. Right. And, um, and, you know, we want you to design something and do the trailer and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I said, I basically said to Paramount, um, uh, uh, you know what we need? We need a really important voice. Yeah. Um, we need an important voice to really set this picture apart. And I knew that Wells had done American Airlines. Sure. This is before the wine stuff that he did on camera. Right, sure. Right. He, did, uh, uh, he did um, uh, Perrier. Um, right. You know, he, he was doing, you know, his voice, you know. And, you know. and Prestigious advertising. So, so I contacted, I mean, I was more, you know, I could have used anybody, but I, but I said, how about Orson Welles? You and wanted said, to work with Orson Welles. That's a yeah. terrific idea. Rosebud <laughs> wanted to hire Orson Welles. It That's makes right. sense. So, so he didn't have an agent. He had a lawyer. Right. So I was able to contact the lawyer and the lawyer said, Welles would be very happy to do it. Um, he wasn't, he, he, at that moment, he didn't know that Robert Wise was the director of the picture. Right. <laughs> but, but he said, yeah, I'll do it. Star Trek. He said, um, and but but Merv has to come out to Las Vegas and rent a recording studio because um, Wells has a resident. He has to keep a residence in Vegas to uh, so he won't pay uh, state tax. Right. So he has to spend 51 percent of his time in Las Vegas. So you have to come out to Vegas and, and record Wells. So I go out to Vegas. I rent a studio. And I'm waiting in front of this, you know, of the studio off the strip and a Porsche 911 pulls up in front of the studio. Yeah. This is like a circus car. And out comes, <laughs> out comes Wells. Yeah. And um, who was driving the car? Rita Hayward's daughter, you know, oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Uh, uh, was, was, was driving him. I don't know how he got into the, or out of, I watched him get out, but he was in a 911. He was a man of great girth at that time, let's so say. We did, we, we did the session, and, uh, I mean, there were some wonderful things. I mean, he said, oh, you know, William, Shat William Shatner is in this. And, my God, I hope he has a better toupee than the one he had when he did Star Trek on TV. <laughs> and one of the films that he concentrated on was Star Trek The Motion Picture, and he uh, uh, put together all the, uh, the trailers and the uh, TV commercials featuring... Orson Welles, and uh, has a, an amazing history of, uh, of uh, shepherding uh, key art and uh, all sorts of uh, uh, campaigns for famous movies. And uh, uh, I believe he uh, spoke about uh, Conan the uh, uh, Barbarian for you, Mark. In the, uh, he did. We had him on talking about 1982 and also 48 Hours. Right. Uh, but... You know what a great uh, what a great time we spent with him talking about this stuff. We still haven't gotten him to play us the original Orson Welles tapes. Someday, someday, Jennifer. I know because we want to hear him uh, basically tank Robert Wise's name and yeah. be unwilling to say the words Robert Wise. Yeah, which is a, an astounding story. And uh, I've been trying to track down him for years and years because of that. Uh, and I was looking for the original uh, 
tapes of uh, the Wells uh, recording session. Uh, but uh, it was uh, it was great to finally connect with him and uh, and uh, have our conversation. And what a what a uh, a career he had uh, that uh, was fascinating. The more we learned about him. Well, and it wasn't just Star Trek. I mean, it was everything yeah. when he talks about wearing Beatty's tracksuit and heaven can wait. Right. And all, all these all these wonderful stories, Woody Allen movies that he worked on. I mean, just incredible stories from, you know, 50 years of Hollywood. And I mean, when he started by talking about how, you know, he kind of was a PA basically on North by Northwest. Right. Uh, I mean, he's just been, you know, I had, you know, aisle seats at the... Uh, the history of some of, uh, uh, you know, Hollywood's greatest movies. And I think as great a time as we had with him, what was wonderful is that he had such a great time being on the show, an unexpectedly great time for him. And uh, that was a really special episode. I'm really glad we did it. It's what makes the show, I think, so special. Yeah, you won't uh, hear him on any other uh, podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's true. Uh, number six, uh, one of the things I think we all take great pride in is being able to shine a light on uh, certain aspects of the Star Trek universe that don't get the love they that we, we often feel they deserve or, or, or come at it in a different perspective. Ashley, what was our number f- number six best Trek Sports episode? Oh, brother. Uh, our number six was our ultimate Trek Sports Trek 5 commentary. Yeah. But I love what I, I love what Kirk is saying about just, you know. It's like, yeah, you might feel better having all this pain erased from the death of a beloved relative, the death of a pet or anything, but you want that pain to remind yeah. you of that. You know, the pain is important. You know, who wants to just have it all washed you, away? The pain reminds you of life. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And this is actually a great moment for Lawrence Luckenbill. Yes. yes. Right. Because there's just doubt, but also this deep faith <laughs> and just... This is the moment that he turns the audience into being on his side. Yes. Yeah. The and then, audience is brought on his side instead of their, our three main characters. And now yeah. you've totally been sucked in. And unfortunately, we're back to those awful effects. Which also suck. At, which are terrible. <laughs> and, um, and, the, and then the bri- bridge, which is incredibly overlit. But it's better than before. It's, yeah. it's better than before. And, you know, you also are seeing people, you know, unfortunately overplaying, you know, yeah. Michelle, you know, putting her hand up to her mouth, like in shock. And, and then this stuff is just embarrassing. The enterprise going through the barrier yeah, at the center of the universe. That's right. Center of the galaxy. But I love Jerry Goldsmith's score in this section. It's great. It's great. Well, thank God for Jerry. I mean, Jerry kind of carries this on his he back. He does a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. Um, which was a, which was a pleasure on on so many levels. I mean, number one, it, it's you know what when you're watching Star Trek two, I, I think it would be hard to do a commentary um, that is necessarily meaningful, where there are things that have to say that have not been said. Right? Well, it's, it wasn't. We've done it. But well, anyway. <laughs> I was well, saying the same thing. I, what I'm saying is that that is hard and it's less fun because the truth <laughs> of the matter is you're not really saying things that nobody said before. You're kind of going, well, well done. And then talking about the things that were well done. Unless you do it with Walter Koenig when he says, oh, I remember that. That's not too bad. You know. <laughs> okay. But with the Trek 5 commentary, we were talking about a film where, number one, we have a great affection for it. 
Um, and we have an affection for it because it it's a really great Star Trek story with incredibly great intentions yeah. and ambition. And that is always interesting to talk about. You know, whether or not, you know, you love the movie or don't love the movie, it doesn't matter because what is happening behind the scenes, what's happening, the things that are occurring to bring that film to screen and what is happening on the screen and the context for that are just super interesting. Like for me, I like, you know, when I listen to audiobooks about movies, it's like, yeah, okay, The Godfather book was great. But what I really loved was Charles Band's like long, you know, epic sprawling history of like a full moon, right? It's like, I love that kind of stuff because that's really about somebody who just wants to make something. And that was Shatner in Star Trek V. And so many talented people, you know, did so many great things that were undone by crazy things. So I I don't know. I just really enjoyed doing it. Um, and uh, and I think it turned out great. And I think that whether you like that movie or you don't like that movie, it is absolutely worth your valuable time to listen to that commentary. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great episode. I think it, it, it helped people look at that movie in a way they hadn't considered before. Without I mean, seatbelts. Yeah, without seatbelts. And Rob, you, you also are very much... Uh, um, uh, of a similar feeling to us that this is a movie that despite its many flaws um that gets a bad rap for a lot of reasons yeah i mean it, yes because the look the character stuff between kirk spock mccoy is gold and um even though some of it's silly i think that it's a movie that has a tonal problem it has a tonal problem and it has a problem that they they it has no ending you know shatner didn't get the money he needed so they had to like do triage on the ending and it's sort of got a non-ending yeah which is which is too bad because it's you know it's this classic trekkian tale and um i think and shatner you know the movie has a feel quite unlike any of the other next generation feel feeling uh, the original series movies because like they get outside you know you've got set pieces action pieces in the daylight in an expansive location and um there's things about it I really like. Let me ask Rob and Darren, because you both have worked on so many great home video projects. Um, and I know this is something that a lot of our listeners are curious about, you know, especially in, in the uh, wake of the terrific uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition. Is there, can you imagine there ever being a time where there would be an attempt to go into Star Trek V and 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 fix it in terms of certainly the brand Farron effects, but to 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 revisit that picture and I, whether it's a director's cut or a special edition or um, a definitive version or or whatever you call it, however you label it, do you see that as being potentially? Oh, my monitor just came on. Oh, that's okay. great. I uh, uh, you know I worked late. on the Star Trek Five, uh, not the Blu-ray, but I mean the. Original DVD, right? The special, I, and I did some special features. I interviewed Shatner, and I recorded his audio commentary uh, for that disc. And I was, I wanted to do more, but um, uh, it was really interesting because I, I, I got in a little bit of a snit with Paramount over that disc because the commentary got heavily edited, and Shatner talked about how Timothy Leary was a big influence over the character of Cybok. And I got notes from Paramount Legal saying, you can't say that. 
he can't say that. I'm like, what do you mean he can't say that? She's the director. You came up with the story. It's like, of course he can't. And it was so crazy. And and Shatner said, I mean, uh, they said to me, so you get all the, I had to make all these excisions out of his, his audio commentary. And one of the notes I got from them, from their legal department was that Star Trek doesn't do stories about drugs. And yeah. I wrote, I wrote back this, this impassioned response. <laughs> I'm like, okay, first of all, what, let's go all the way back to the first season of the original series and talk about Mud's women. Then let's go to the first season of Star Trek, the next generation and talk about symbiosis. I mean, you literally are doing, you're, you're talking about drug addiction and abuse in, in two iterations of Star Trek. And it, it was just the most ridiculous to say that you can't, that Shatner couldn't mention Timothy Leary. And um, I felt like I couldn't continue on with the project after that because I, I'm like, I'm, I, I have to let, I don't want to let Bill down. But to answer your question, I don't think the material exists to make an effective, to fix the end of that movie because they didn't have the money. They didn't have the rock men and they just don't exist. So you, you, you'd have to go in there and create something. It's different than the motion picture because you had, you were working with the original director, but you, it was so, it was stuff they couldn't get around to doing. You know, whereas, I mean, Darren can obviously speak to that, but Star Trek V, they just, they didn't have it. They didn't, there wasn't even anything there that you could, there was no rock man, there was no creatures that attacked the landing party. There was nothing, I mean, you see, you see the footage on the disc, it's terrible. But here's the question for Darren, even without revamping the ending, to just fix all those awful brand Farron effects that bring the movie down, you know, for the first three acts. Is that something you think it would be feasible? Anyone that would ever undertake? Well, I certainly, I certainly think it would be feasible whether it would, whether it would do enough to fix the, the tonal problems with the movie. I don't think so. I think there would be a need for an overall re-edit of the movie. Uh, and again, uh, like Rob said, the, the materials to do that may not be available. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a big question as to what exists in the vaults and what, you know, if there are different takes that could be used, if there are, uh, you know, other things that were shot for the ending but never used, that would, uh, that would you know, be interesting as well. But it's a big question as to how deep can we go with it without it uh, just being a complete waste of time and that's the that's the question because i think there i think that you know doing a uh, a surface uh, polish of it is certainly doable uh, but is that enough that's the question that is the question um okay well we we who knows we will see if that ever materializes um, it would be wonderful to see it happen, but, uh, we, we don't know if it indeed it will, but we've seen fan movements lead to other successes and, uh, hopefully the Star Trek five director's edition or director's cut or a special edition, probably be a special edition because I don't know how involved Bill would want to be with it. And, uh, certainly I don't, I, there's not a direct, anyway, without, let's not get into that. That's a whole nother conversation. Let's get into, instead, our number five pick for the greatest Trexperts episode of all time. And this was another really special episode 
you know, they say you don't get to meet your, uh, your idols, but, uh, sometimes you do. And, uh, one of the people, you know, as, as writers that I have always most respected and most, um, wanted to emulate and, and most basically keep his legacy alive is the great Gene Alcoon, who, uh, for a long time had his contributions to Star Trek wildly overlooked. And I think the last couple of years has been an uh, amazing reevaluation of people understanding how important he was to the success of the original Star Trek. But behind Gene Alcoon was another remarkable person. Of course, that's Andrea Kindred. Andrea was the first African-American assistant on the Desilu lot. She was Gene Coon's assistant. And uh, she was a remarkable, and still is, a remarkable person who uh, was uh, in, in, in the turbulent 60s, in addition to being... Uh, um, uh, you know, somebody who broke new ground uh, in Hollywood was also very involved with uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and uh, Karenga. Uh, I was going to say Kananga, which is, he, was, he was definitely not involved with Kananga. Um, so um, really remarkable. <laughs> the um, And of course, the episode I'm talking about is the real Uhura. And you're wondering, who is our special guest? This is so exciting. This is so exciting because we have with us Andy Kindred. Andy worked with Gene L. Kuhn for many time, for many years, but has an incredible story to tell herself. She was working uh, for the, uh, tell me, feel free to correct me, for the Urban League, and she found out that Paramount Desilu, Desilu at the time, had no African-American assistance they were called secretaries back then, and she went up and uh, and and uh, got a job there. And shortly thereafter, found herself working for Gene. Uh oh. <laughs> Basically, what happened was Watts exploded. Ah. When Watts exploded. Watts. Lucy was ahead of everybody at Desilu. She was doing stuff people weren't doing. And I think she said, I think maybe we should have a couple of black people here because Desilu, the only people black, they were the janitors or the actors who were playing janitors. So they went to the Urban League, whose job was to get black people into jobs that had, they hadn't been in before. And they said to me, look, you work in radio, so you ought to be able to do this. And they sent me off to Desilu, which I thought, <laughs> And it all worked out. And how did you feel about that? Because, I mean, you had never done anything like this secretarial work before. I mean, you were doing other things. You were you were at the early stages of your activism. I, and and, and uh, you are going to work at the, at the Desilu. What, 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 what would you remember? I mean, it's like a time machine. I know we're going backward. A job. I've just been working the time machine. It's called my memoir. Um, it was a job. Now, I was there with Watts because it, we were pissed off with what was going on, with the lack of jobs, with the police harassment, with the segregation. Um, Prop 13, which was said that black people could not buy houses if they had a restrictive covenant on it. We were pissed off about a lot of things. So when the Urban League came to me and said, look, we've got this, these people want some uh, clerical help. I knew clerical because I was a Kelly girl, hmm. a temp person. Um, and I knew I could type really good. I didn't take shorthand for crap. Um, and, and I felt I had to go because I had to represent my people. Uh, in which we talked to Andrea about her experience working for Gene Kuhn, what it was really like 
what it's really like working on Star Trek in the, the 60s, uh, in the, the mid to late 60s, um, and what Gene Kuhn was really like, what Gene Roddenberry was really like. Um, Ed Gross had interviewed her for our book, The 50-Year Mission, um, but I had never had the chance to speak to her. We were lucky enough to have her come on the show. She was terrific, and then we spent some more time with her in Vegas, where we were fortunate enough to take her to, to a lovely dinner um, uh, uh, as well. But um, I, I'm a real fan of this episode. She was um, uh, beaming in from uh, Australia, where she lives, Australia. Um, so the sound wasn't fantastic. Uh, but uh, the, the wise pearls that were, uh, she was talking about, along with her new memo- memoir as well, was just utterly fascinating. And this is the kind of trekcation slash trek archaeology that I'm so fond of doing and is really at the heart of the reason why I came back for another season of the show. This is, it's these episodes that really, to me, are super special because we're not only preserving Trek history, but we're shining a light on the legends that inspired us to do what we do today as um, people who work in this industry. Absolutely. It was, it was wonderful hearing her direct stories uh, where she was involved with these people who you know, have become legends, but uh, she dealt with them every day. And it was it was fascinating hearing her talk about Harlan Ellison, who uh, who helped her uh, get a place to live. And uh, when there were lots of factions uh, out there against uh, 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 people of color uh, living in certain areas, uh, it was fascinating to hear her uh, toils and uh, and uh, well, Darren, struggles. that is such a great point. I was going to say the same exact thing. That story she tells about it. She was turned down for a, a house, an apartment near Paramount because yeah. she was working such crazy hours and they wouldn't rent it to her because she was African-American. Yep. So Harlan hears his story and then Harlan goes and rents the apartment and uh, the guy immediately uh, is thrilled to have him. I guess he didn't know Harlan very well. Oh, and then yeah. Harlan <laughs> turns around and he hands the keys to um, Andrea and basically, you know, basically went and, 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 uh, because you know, did an uh, yeah, and because he's not one to suffer fools gladly, and you know he could be very difficult and very hard to deal with at times. But this is this is this was his heart. Yeah. This was the, was the real Harlan, you know, who stepped up and 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 really did this noble, wonderful, you know, thing. And uh, there's so many stories like that, and and stories about Gene Coon, who was just uh, you know whose father was a Klansman, and here he was super, you know, he was the first person. It was very important to him. He said, if we're going to have these progressive social values in Star Trek, you know, he wanted to walk the walk and not yeah, just talk and he the talk. to practice it. Yeah. And, and, and just, um, just, just, uh, just incredible. And of course, she is also the one who gave us the amazing Gene Roddenberry quote uh, that we used in the 50 year mission, which I won't repeat here, but you know, those of you who read it know what it is about yes. Gene Roddenberry's wedding. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that was number uh, number five, the real Ahura, which we're cheating in our next pick, uh, which was an extraordinary series of episodes, perhaps our best, but it's only number four. Ask Edward Miller, um, can you read us the law of the land from with an outstretched arm? He brought us into the land, and we delivered from the the, the mountain of Mount Canaan uh, these episodes. You know. In this holiday season, 
We're celebrating Christmas. You know, why not celebrate with the Bible or a whole bunch of Bibles? Bibles for shows, uh, in fact, whether it's the, 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 the Bible for the original series or the next generation or Deep Space Nine or phase two had a Bible. Number six. I don't, try to, don't try to tell a story about whole civilizations. Uh, we've mm. never yet been able to get a usable story from a writer who began, I see the strange civilization which dot, dot, dot. The Yangs and Focus. The Focus. Sorry. Number seven. Stop worrying about not being a scientist. How many cowboys, police officers, and doctors wrote westerns, detective, and hospital shows? Huh? Tell me that. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. You know? I I mean, I think if, you know, and and lawyers who write legal shows. But you know what? There are lawyers who write legal shows and And cops who write cop shows. I I think it gives them an advantage. It does. Or or what happens when you have a cop write a sci-fi show like Burton Armis? Or or Gene Roddenberry. And the thing that's really great about all of these episodes is we all learn something very, very, very important uh, from uh, from from going through all of these documents. Well, we learned two things that are really important. The first important thing we learned is that you have big ideas, but then they hit the stage and stuff starts to change. The second really important thing we learned is. Gene Roddenberry really loves showers. <laughs> I mean, showers are all over the goddamn place. And do you ever see one? No, except for one place. One place where they make it count. Well, no, you, you also see it in, uh, in the naked time. Okay, fair. Where people are taking showers in their clothing. That's the, the unnaked time. The unnaked time. Oh my. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Is the captain here? Is Definitely not here? a Sunday. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> yeah, this this was an extraordinary series of episodes. It was Thou Shalt Not exploring the Phase Two Bible, Genesis Two, exploring the original Trek Bible, Lamentations, exploring the Enterprise Bible, Exodus, exploring the Voyager Bible, Revelations, exploring the du- Deep Space Nine Bible. And of course, the New Testament, the Next Generation Bible. And I think, you know, along with special guests like Mike Sussman, who joined us for Enterprise, we were able to really, I think, look at the evolution of these shows from their original uh, uh, show Bible, series Bibles, and what they became and what they didn't become. And it was a really fascinating look to see what they thought the shows would be and what they ultimately became. And it was it was interesting to see, especially at the time when we were doing these one after the other, um, how many sections from one would appear in the other. Yes. Uh, they, they would just sort of copy over uh, to try and get it to happen again. And, and it, it never did yet it's again. Like making fetch happen. You're yeah. just not going to make fetch happen. You're That's not right. going to make but showers not- happen or fetch. <laughs> so true. You're not going to make it happen. It's true. It's true. Um, anyway, really, really great series of episodes. Really well received. Um, and uh, and talk about a deep dive. This is probably as deep as you can get. Yeah, yeah uh, it's 100%. the Mariana's Trench of deep dives. <laughs> well, I, 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 it's like the or as Mark might say, the Mariana's Trench of. Mark no, wouldn't I wouldn't. I, I, would, I wouldn't say. He would that. say the uh, Marina Sirtis <laughs> Trench. The Marina Sirtis Trench. 
Thank you, Darren. <laughs> Darren gets my sense of humor. And you know what? I get Darren's sense of humor because not only is Darren extremely creative and well-versed in the history of Star Trek, which he brings as a gift he brings to every episode, but we are blessed with the man of a thousand voices, or at least 999 voices. And never was it more in abundance than in our number three pick, Robert Meyer Burnett. Tell us was number three on our countdown of the best Trexperts episodes. Well, this is why I love you guys and I love this show. Because I think the four of us might be the only people that would have done this. <laughs> this is true. And, uh, we did a whole show celebrating the Gene Roddenberry penned novelization for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a scene in the novel that a lot of people were curious about. You know, people thought uh, that it was a deleted scene. It was not. Mm-hmm. It uh, was never from, shot. From the movie was never shot. Um, it had been, there had been versions of the scene in previous drafts when it was in thy image, uh, which of course is the confrontation with Admiral Nagora. And it, it's a really interesting scene in the book. I think it, it really shows Captain Kirk, um, uh, you know, being strategic and very right. smart. You see why, you know, it's not just like, you know, he won the Enterprise back, he got her, you know, but, but how did he do that? Right. And, and, you know, we'll we'll listen to it, and uh, you'll see. We'll talk about it afterwards. This must be rather difficult for you, said Nagura. Captain Decker has been something of your protege, hasn't he? Yes, sir. But I don't see how that makes it difficult. I've recommended him for jobs in the past because he was the best man available. In this case, he is not. Kirk knew himself to be motivated and determined, as he had not been for years, and he had powerful arguments to use. The last five years of Enterprise logs supported his contention that Nagura's greatest need was not a captain familiar with a rebuilt vessel, but rather one with the greatest possible experience in dealing with deep space unknowns, such as the one now hurtling toward Earth. We had Darren's voice skills. Um, I mean, first of all, I think all of us, I've loved this book since I first read it. Yeah. And everything about it is just insanely delightful since i first read it a week before seeing the movie oh yeah <laughs> yeah everything about it and 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 to you know to know that the four of us have the same kind of crazy love for this book <laughs> and that the book has been re- reissued recently and people can get it and everybody can delve into it's it's uncut the thing that makes it so fascinating is is it's uncut gene roddenberry yeah gene and roddenberry uncut unfiltered right. uncut bigger longer well he was uncut. episcopalian Unfettered by (laughs) networks, unfettered by notes, unfettered by good taste. And well, you know, it's (laughs) no, 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 I'm kidding. It's actually, it's wacky. It is wacky, but it is totally Rottenberry. Yeah. Oh, and for people who had wrote, wrote, you gave us a gift because you did these excerpts, these little vignettes where you cherry picked certain, you know, segments, certain scenes, you know, and and, and certain scenes like the Admiral Degora confrontation. Uh, uh, in the, the sonic shower. I mean, just you picked like the perfect excerpts to share with the audience. Well, oh. you know, I, I put myself out there by doing my, for the first time, my Ilea voice, which, you know, I'm, I'm restricted by, by my vocal cords, but I tried, damn it. I tried. You did. <laughs> I liked it. It sounded like a bad Bollywood movie. Oh. It was good. No, some, it was good. Some would you, say you know that's what? redundant. Can I just say, I mean, you know, compared to Jimmy Doohan, you are uh, 
<laughs> Watch it. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Although I don't even like to admit that you're doing the voices. I prefer, I think there are people that you prefer to just have Gene great. show up. I just want to have people <laughs> think Gene is showing up and then we got the Ouija board out and then uh -huh. he just, he comes back and, and, and is a guest on our show. And I don't want them to even know it's you're the man behind the curtain. Well, you know, Mark, I was very disappointed that uh, there were no Jimmy doing uh, excerpts from the book uh, that Darren could have read. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe next time we can have uh, we can have that section of, you know, maybe when Scotty discovered that he was going to destroy the ship, that would have been fun. <laughs> we'll make sure we have a bottle of whiskey. Well, three <laughs> bottles of whiskey for you when you do show up, Jimmy. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was great. And, Rob, it was so terrific to have you. That was a went back when we were recording in the studio and um, uh, we were doing multiple episodes a day. And I think that was the last one of the day and last catch of the day. And um, it was, uh, we were exhausted, but then you, you, you start to get into an episode that you know is clicking and it just energizes you. Energize. Energize. Good deed. Yeah. Okay. We're getting very close to revealing the number one transports <laughs> episode of all time. But first, it's number two, Ashley. <laughs> but first, Ashley. we need a number two. Uh, coming always in at number two. Always in the two. gutter with you. Always in the gutter. <laughs> always. It's like right I down like the, there in the Marianas Trench. show in which we're parceling out valuable tidbits of information that, that we're, we're doing a public good. And then you with the toilet humor. Hey, look, I've got to be my own downstairs to my upstairs, right? It's like I've got to be both of those things or I don't feel like me. Um, potty brain. So number two, <laughs> in this case, is also number six. Asbel versus Doctor Men, the uh. ultimate Trek six face off, 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 off. No, this yeah. was not an episode where Steve Asbel and Darren Doctorman switched their faces surgically and then <laughs> shot at each other. Cool. That'd be cool as hell, man. I could have. I could have put, put, put a ton of of movies into Greenlight. Doing that, <laughs> you totally could have. But and Darren Bell would not have been able to draw. At he all. goes, "I want Planet of the Apes on 4K today." <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Six is incredible final story, and at least you know as it was presented, um, kind of covering the twenty-five years of of these characters and and being able to at least look at the actually consider the time and the space and the lives and the histories and make use of those not just those characters in their um uh histories as as you know their, their narrative histories from the canon of the show but our histories with them and the fact that the show was the movie was able to look back and at, as discussed the, at the relationship between these characters, the humans, and an original um, enemy of 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 the the our heroes and the Klingons from early, you know, the that the, they were It wasn't a new um, enemy that they decided to come up with the, the, for the last story. A new thing they're finally have to face. It was kind of going back to the original um, uh, uh, adversaries and making dramatic hay out of the. The, not just the, the conflict as we knew it, but how it had evolved in a way that, as we've talked about, reflected in some ways how our own relationship with those same enemies had evolved. 
this was uh, look, we we made this a fair fight. Um, yeah, up until you know, the end. Yeah, Mark and I stayed out of it. We uh, we were completely <laughs> we were neutral. Very fair. Um, oh and God. look, we we listen to this we, one again. No folks. matter how badly Darren was getting his ass kicked, Mark and I did not BS. step in. BS. Don't interfere. Nobody interfere. The game was rigged. It was it was rigged a little bit. Uh, no, it was actually terrific. Because <laughs> no, you know, we were we were totally we were we, totally we tried as, to be as impartial as Republican Supreme Court justices oh, as we geez. possibly could. Um, look, it was it was a fun episode basically because both of these guys. Look, everybody in that on that show loved Star Trek. He wouldn't do this about a movie where there's nothing that like the if if Darren hated Star Trek Six, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do right. like I don't hate you know, Star Trek Six. I just think it's bad. He just <laughs> blames him for the death <laughs> right. of his boy. That's right. But it goes back to what we were saying before yeah. about like we can think things aren't good, but still enjoy them or right. still love the thing that they're built around, and it's or just, still remember the time when we saw it. Exactly, and you know, it's, and that's that's again, that's what this starship is about. Um, and I think it was just fascinating. I think it was actually it better than doing a commentary on that film because it, it let us have a little bit of clash, um, but like, but in a sort of a good oh. structured way. Uh, so I, I, was, I loved it. I loved yeah. that episode. I, I, I love the battle. I love that Darren held no punches. I mean, he 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 went at it and. I thought they really mixed it I, up. I they believe both had great the, points. I believe the term is pulled no punches. Pulled no punches. Pulled no punches. <laughs> and uh, it was he a terrific. Did with a punch. Uh, it was uh, it was a really terrific episode. And you know, um, Steve obviously had you know was passionate advocate for it. And you know, Darren has always made no secret of the fact that he's not a huge fan of the movie. But again, to me, that epitomizes what we do on the show. You you, you leave his friends. You know, you go into the arena. Yeah. You say your piece. You know, Darren's not saying don't watch Star Trek Six. He's saying this is why I don't like Star Trek Six. This right. is what I think is wrong with it. And and it was great. And by the end, you know, we we all walk away. You know, as friends. But you know, I just it brings me back to that thing that just infuriates me with these people. Like, why do you say things that are bad? Why don't you love everything? It's like because not everything is good. Because right. loving because everything, everything love means nothing. loving nothing. That's right. And also, you know, when did when did criticism become something to be feared? Uh, about twenty yeah. years ago. I it's guess not so. feared. It's the same. It is the same disease. The 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 psychological disease that we see everywhere in social media by disagreeing with a thing that I like. You are saying that you do not like me by saying this thing yes. that I like is bad. Right, that's you're exactly that right. I am bad, and yep. it's it is just it's gross, man. It is just it's mental illness. It is you know societal death by meme. It's crazy. Yeah, it, you know what I think I loved about this episode? It was like our version of Siskel and Ebert. It yeah. was like you know you were Ebert, he was Siskel, and you guys were just doing an episode of Siskel and Ebert. And I love Siskel and Ebert. You know, so I, and I didn't, you know, I love Siskel, but there are movies that he didn't like that I love. I loved Ebert, but there are movies he loved that I hated. It didn't mean I didn't like them or respect them as critics. But even wow. like, even in Star Trek Six, the, the, the Velcro, the tracking device, Velcro on the Spock shoulder. puts on, I, I'm like, even of when course, I watched the first absurd. time, 
I'm like, yeah, what, 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 no one saw that? Why did Spock put a caterpillar on Captain Kirk's uh, shoulder? You know? well, and also in the 23rd century, GPS devices are going to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, on these giant Velcro patches. Stupid. I mean, it's like, I hate Velcro. Meanwhile, I've forgiven it for the death of my boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like that episode of uh, Seinfeld. I don't like Velcro. Jerry Seinfeld's uh, dad didn't like the Velcro. But I, think I, I don't blame him. I listened to this episode, and and it's it's. I've always had. I don't dislike Star Trek Six, but there's a lot in it that I don't like. Right. <laughs> you know, and there's there's things that I wish were 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 better, and it would make the movie better. And I know a lot of it is budgetary, but there's also. You know, the, it, there's a distasteful streak in the movie, the racism that's that's that um, our characters display, and I'm like, it, it seemed like a throwback. It wasn't very Trekian. It wasn't. It wasn't Trekian, and it killed Gene go. Roddenberry. Well, <laughs> I thought that happened in the shower. No, 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 no. Look, I the, I I love this episode too, and. Look, I I respect Steve. I love Steve. He's a great he's a great uh, adversary, and he's a he's a good friend. And he's just wrong. That's all. He's just wrong. Well, it's okay. Sure. He's a he's he's very good with story though. He's got great yeah. points to make. Yeah, agreed. I, I I think Steve was more right than he was wrong, but that's okay. But we're not going to relitigate Star Trek Six. Mm-hmm. We're not, yeah, not going go. to do that here. No, no, we're not. Okay, well, that was number number three. If I number no, our that number, was actually that was number, number two. two. We have a that we have a it. very interesting list here because yeah, I had, noticed that it has an extra two and three. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was that was number two. <laughs> so now that brings us to two, three. Our honor our honor our honorary mentions. So. Um, if you will, Rob, start us off with your honorary mention for best episode of the Trexperts. Well, I don't really, it's not really an episode of Trexperts, was it? I mean, Dex, it's an adjunct. It aired as part ad- of, ad- I, of I have Trexperts. to say that not only was this a great episode of, of any podcast, but for me personally, it was just a real, I, I, it was a real highlight. And that was, of course, talking to the great Ken Wall. Now there's not a stigma between actors going from movies to TV, but back in the 80s, you know, you were either a feature actor or a TV actor. And of course, you know, you had done some big features. Then you end up doing this TV show. Did you have any concerns about doing television at that time? That is a a fantastic question. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do this with you guys, because you guys understand that stuff. Yes, I've had this uh, conversation with Burke and, and back in the day with Cannell. I was a complete TV snob back mm-hmm. then, but not unjustified that I was. Right. Because it, in doing some research for your cast here, I looked back at, and I saw, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I looked it up. And for the 1987-88 season, which was, our, which was Wise Guys' first season, Seven of the top ten shows on TV at the time were half-hour sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, except for the Cosby show and a couple of the classic ones, stupid, ridiculous sitcoms that that an eight-year-old wouldn't find funny. It was just horrible. So we were living in that time where I had no interest in doing television whatsoever. 
So to, to answer your question, yes, I had incredible apprehensions about doing TV after having started in features. Mm-hmm. And no, it's so different now because back then you didn't have multiple showings, for example, of episodes where you would have a, an encore presentation of whatever. Like, I really enjoyed Mad Men when it was on. Mm-hmm. And you know, first of all, they're only doing, what, 13 episodes for an entire season. And they don't come back for another year. Right. You know, we're lucky if we have a few weeks hiatus before we got to come back and grind it out again. Plus, we're grinding out those shows in six and seven days. Actor Ken Wall, who basically has disappeared from the business, but, you know, early on in his career, um, he was in movies like The Wanderers that I just loved. And then he was, of course, Vinny Terranova in our beloved four-season TV series. Uh, well, actually, for him, three, but Wise Guy. And it was just an unbelievable thrill to speak with him. And he was vibrant and engaged and really smart and had great stories to tell. And it meant a lot. It meant a lot to me personally. Highlight of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great episode. And having the chance to talk to uh, Vinny was, I mean, and, and you know, <laughs> he had a great forever. time. He loved it. He loved doing it. And, and he was a great guest. And it was so great to go back and talk about one of our favorite shows of all time. And um, and to hear his insights. And Rob, I thought you asked him some great questions about, you know, his career beyond Wise Guy as well. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really great. Really great episode. What a what a thrill to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, And that brings us to Ashley Edward Miller. Um, Uh, I will say that, uh, look, this this episode was not only one of my very favorites of all time, it was one of my very favorite experiences as a Star Trek fan. Um, and to set the stage for you, I don't think, and this kind of goes back to what I said about trying to do a Star Trek II commentary. How could you possibly have something new to say that somebody else hasn't said before, no matter how well we say it? Um, to sit in a room with you three clowns and Bob Salon. Oh, man. And have the, between us, we must have watched Star Trek II easily into the four or five digits number of times. And every five to six minutes, Bob Salon was telling us, the four of us, collectively, stuff, stuff that we have never we heard had before. never mm-hmm. heard before, yeah. That's Things right. we did not know. To see, I mean, I wish that episode, maybe it is on video, but like, I think our jaws were on the table most of the time listening to this man tell stories and drop knowledge on us that we just had no idea was out there. Uh, anyway, the long and the short of it is my my assistant, Deborah Ar- Arakelian, mm-hmm. uh, suggested uh, Nick Meyer. And I had admired his work in Seven Percent Solution. And although he was not an experienced, really, he did only one picture, as I recall, uh, I went and had a talk with him by myself. And I, I sent the script over first. I had a talk with him. And that's when I laid on the space opera concept. Right. And um, he got it. He immediately got it. And he started telling me some things. And I went, oh, wow, this guy is amazing. And so I told Harv, and then we went back and had another meeting with Harv, and Harv didn't want to hire him. Hmm. Uh, we walked, uh, well, we walked out of Nick's house, and we were walking to our car, and Harv turned to me and he said, um, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. 
And I he said, wasn't wrong. <laughs> you know, okay, fair, you know, fair enough. But you can't denigrate the man's talents. No, and, absolutely not. You know, I mean, as a writer, I mean, his uncredited rewrite, and I think you all know this, his uncredited rewrite, which he did in 12 days, right. saved that picture. Without Nick's input and without his creativity, it would have been a disaster because there was nothing I could do except walk off the lot. Right. If you're looking for it, it's just called the can the condu attitude uh, revisiting <laughs> Trek the condu attitude revisiting Trek Two with Bob Salen. And it is so terrific. And by the way, he is a lovely man. He is he is so great. He's got he is energetic as hell. He's he's still out there like you know kicking ass. He's he's fantastic. If only he yeah. had stuck around with Star yeah. Trek. Yeah, I wish he had. But you know, as he said. Uh, you know, they had offered him the franchise because they wanted Harv to do television, and he didn't want to stab his friend in the back. And, uh, and wound up getting stabbed in the back. Stabbed in the back, yeah. I wasn't going to say that, but okay, yes, exactly. Okay, that's a great pick, Ashley. What about you, Darren? What's your pick for uh, honorary mention? Well, there are so many that I, I have loved and enjoyed participating in. Um, but uh, one that I particularly enjoyed was from a few months ago where we had, uh, we found, you found, Laszlo Pappas, the inventor of the photo novel. And uh, our discussion with him was so fascinating and so enlightening on this, you know, it was a, it was uh, basically an oasis in the desert of uh, the time between Star Trek and the movies. And uh, but the idea came honestly. I can't remember how I how I thought of it. You know, because the timing the timing was absolutely perfect for uh, particularly Star Trek, because it was sort of in its doldrums before the before the movie was uh, being. That's true. That's true. And that was exactly the right time in fandom to fill this gap. Uh, of people wanting Star Trek, and it was just yeah. amazing that you that you but showed I, I up right at the same time. I, I remember going to the books, uh, to, you know, in L.A., going to the bookstore and, and, and seeing them fly off the shelves. You know, yeah. one day there's a stack of 20, next day they're gone. You know, yeah. I said, what, what happened to the books? <laughs> Why did you take them out? <laughs> they're sold. <laughs> That's so great. Um, it was, uh, you know, the photo novels were the best representations of the episodes that we had in terms of, uh, you know, quality and, uh, and, uh, photo, uh, reproduction. And the, him describing the process of how these were put together was absolutely astonishing. And mm. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think he was very surprised that we were at all interested in this. He was, uh, he, he was, he said it before we were on the air. He said it while we were on the air and he said it was, after we were on the air, he's like, I don't understand why you care. <laughs> did you say, look, man, we did an episode about fonts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know it's, it's, it's funny because the thing is we lived through an era of, of this kind of thing that will never come again. And nobody would really get it unless you actually were there and participated. Yeah. And photo novels were like a big deal. <laughs> to us and yeah. those and it was you know i think i told you guys that i wrote a letter to the photo novel the people publishing them and they sent me a box of photo novels that i still have that i told them like could i get them like one of them was hair 
the photo yeah, model for yeah, a hair yeah, and, yeah, and like yeah. Nightwing. You know what? Yeah. Laszlo you know? probably packed that box himself. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. It was so funny that I wrote this letter. I used to do that when I was a kid. Like when I, I would write letters to model companies. Would you make a model of this spaceship and stuff? And I would sometimes get letters letters back and the photo novel box i wish i i you know i never thought about Rob's keeping like it. where's the uh, caligula photo novel i'm really excited about that one <laughs> well <laughs> no, but, i mean you could probably put that together yourself you just go back and uh, yeah but it was happens. those are back in the days that people would write you if you were a kid and they liked your letter they would people would write you back yeah, yeah. it's true that was great yeah because now with uh, social media and with um email and you know like yeah they, they don't bother they it's too many people but back then it, it took a lot of effort to send a letter and if you sent a letter chances are people would write back i mean i remember there was this guy who used to be the head of cbs news and i read a, a, a his book at joyce and i found something that was wrong and i sent him an email telling him how much i liked the book but there was a mistake and i said so if you're going to reprint your paperback you may want to fix it and he wrote back the nicest letter just saying <laughs> you know i appreciate you bringing that to my attention you're absolutely right i don't know how we missed it and you know, it's like, I just, I love that you could have that kind of communication. And, and for fan, being a fan, it was a great thing because you could, if you were nice enough about it, you could get responses. Well, there was a whole book that Susan Sackett wrote called Letters to Star Trek, yeah. which was just that letters that were sent to characters, to Gene Roddenberry, to Star Trek. Right. We didn't have it on our list of best Star Trek books because it's clearly not one of the best Star Trek books. But we do talk to Susan Sackett about it in a future Great Trexpert episode, which will be on next month uh, after these uh, holiday specials wrap up. So that's something to look forward to. Um, I, I, I just want to, I want an autographed picture of Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek will <laughs> autograph a picture for you. Dear Good dear, luck with that. Thank you for your interest, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like a penthouse pet. Uh, okay, so um, I have to say, I gotta, I gotta uh, say that the episode I'm proudest of, which is not my the best uh episode it's a great episode but i'm proudest of is our remembering manny Cotto. and he had been you know like his brother directing and um writing and of course he you know was writing partners with brian helgeland i mean he back in the 90s sold the ticking man was what the yep. first one million dollar people talk about shane black but you know the first one through that door was Manny and Brian with Ticking Man. That was right. a huge spec sale. I remember that. And that, that's where I recognized the name. I also recognized the name from a movie called Dr. Giggles that I really liked. Um, <laughs> Manny wrote and directed. The doctor is insane. <laughs> <laughs> so I, ha I was kind of a, a fan of Manny's for different reasons when he came in. But he just... Star Trek was in his DNA. He knew what to do, and that's it's really what we needed. And he really, um, you know, he was a real, became a, a, a close friend very quickly. Um, he, not only did he contribute great scripts, he was help, very helpful. I mean, he helped us break all the other stories, and he, he really helped me as a showrunner, you know, Mike, you may not know this, but he, or you may know, he was a huge fan of yours. And um, there was a script that you had written called uh, Future Tense for Enterprise. And I remember I was just in that crazed rewrite mode and I was looking at the script and saying, oh, it's got this problem, this problem, that problem. 
And Manny said, this script is great. Hmm. Just the way it is. And um, that was really a, 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 is epiphanous a word? I have no idea. Uh, But it was, it It was, it was, it was a, a moment of great clarity where I was like, holy shit, like he's right. I'm just in this really bad frame of mind and it, 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 the script is great and it got shot pretty much as you wrote it, Michael, with very few notes. That was, Manny headed my ass off at the pass on that one because I was going to, I was ready to give you a bunch of notes <laughs> and, and he was like, it's a great script. And that, and I knew in that moment, like it was that he was going to take over the show. Manny yep. passed away of pancreatic cancer earlier this year. Um, and we put together an episode literally the day that he passed away, we heard um, where we talked to Brandon Bragg and Mike Sussman. Um, and um, and then I went into the archives and pulled an old interview I had done with Manny for 50 year mission. And we got that on the air, like literally the next day. And I thought it was really special. and It was important to pay homage to Manny, who was a wonderful guy and a super talented guy who gave so much to Star Trek. But what really made uh, made it special for me was when we heard from his brother um, and, um, uh, you know, who said that not only was he thrilled with the episode, but that they actually let him and the family listen to it when they were grieving because it like brought him back to life with the interview and huh. hearing him talk. And, and so it means so much to me. I'm so glad we did that. Uh, you know, again, Manny was great to the show. He was great to me. Um, uh, uh, um, obviously, he appeared on on the show when we re- in a revisiting Enterprise. Um, but just uh, taken from us way too young, and I'm so glad that we were able to do that uh, because um, uh, it, it was really important to honor his contribution to Star Trek. More, more important to honor him. Uh, but uh, when pressed uh, for uh, my honorary mention. I would have to go, as much as I love Cybox Says with Lawrence Luck and Bill, which is a truly special episode where we yes. talk to Lawrence Luck and Bill. He's I would awesome. go with Gene's notes. This, because this has become such a controversial uh, subject on the podcast, this is our episode where we look for the search for logic and the search for Spock. And uh, these were notes that Gene Roddenberry did to Harv Bennett on Harv's various drafts of uh, Star Trek Three. And we talked about uh, the studio notes, Gene's notes, Harv Bennett's notes, who was right, who was wrong, what he was saying, the note behind the note. It was a look really inside how the sausage is made. And we come out the other side. And I think, uh, you know, some people felt we were being, you know, unfair to Star Trek III. Um, but uh, if anything, uh, <laughs> it's coming from Gene Roddenberry, not from Yeah, from no kidding. <laughs> having and, having uh, been through this process before on many, many, many times, on a yeah. number of things of, of, of this scope, I have to tell you, and I can't believe I'm saying this, number one, well, I can actually, because there are lots of great studio executives. Hi, Steve, I know you're listening. Um, <laughs> the studio notes were terrific. Roddenberry's notes were awful. If I were Harv, I might have punched him in the face. <laughs> they were just terrible. Spoiler alert! But it's a great episode, man. It was it was so interesting to go through those uh, that stuff. Yeah, it was really, and it was a really you know look behind the uh, behind the curtain, and it was a really really great episode. And uh, 
again, I think that's what we do well. I think that's what we do well, obviously. We do well looking is, behind the curtain at the sausage. I'm sorry. Well, speak for yourself, Darren. <laughs> Come behind the curtain and check out the sausage. <laughs> With the experts. <laughs> okay, well, uh, on that note, I turn to you, Robert Meyer Burnett, to do the honors to reveal the number one best episode of Inglorious Trexperts ever. <laughs> you, you know what? I would have said to you, the motion picture episode, talking about a novelization for the motion picture, might have been the pi- the pinnacle, or the nadir, whatever, the zenith. The, the, it, uh, it, either way, whatever. You, the but pinnacle. Then, but then this episode rolled around, yeah. and this episode actually came about as a result of, of a mention episode. in another episode. And for those of you who don't know, I think all of us again, you had to be at a certain age. There was the Star Trek quiz book that came out, and and the thing that was so galling about it. It was written by a kid. We didn't and know at the time, though. No, we, no, we didn't. We just we knew didn't. it was by an Organian. It yeah. was by an Organian, yeah. And and it was the it was the thing. It was. I remember thinking, well, I know more than this person does. I'm. I you know. And and it was. And we. I don't think we ever really even talked about it. And and then you guys mentioned it. On, yeah. I don't think I was on the episode where it was mentioned, or maybe I was. I don't know. But you might have been. But well, this is the best part. I think I was when we first talked about it. But the best part was Rafe Needleman, who wrote this book, was actually listening to the Inglorious Trexperts podcast when he heard his name brought up in the context of this book. We had no idea. No clue. That he was a listener. And he still is, we hope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell us the tale. Who's your captain? Well, you know, we're of the same generation. Mm-hmm. So I was also a child when I did this book. And uh, my uh, my father's an author. So he writes philosophy books. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother is the one who got me into Star Trek when I was a kid. We were left alone a lot, me and my sister. So we watched Star Trek all the freaking time. Right? right? And it was the point. It was like, she's liked it. I loved it. My mom's a science fiction nut. I had all the, the what are the science fiction magazines that they had it in the, you know, the 70s. The... Um, I can't even remember the name. Logs and a Fantastic. Analog. Those are the magazines. No, I mean the the story magazines. Analog. Analog. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I Isaac Osimov science fiction right, magazine. Right. I, eat, I ate those things up. I watched Star Trek all the time. My sister and I, you know, within like a nanosecond of a show showing up in our little teeny black and white TV, was like sure. Omega Glory. Yep. You know, we totally nailed it. Right. You know what I'm talking about. And it was a summer. There was a summer coming up, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And I, so I guess I was talking with my dad or my mom or something, and it's like, it's. You're 13. It's time for you to write a book, son, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, my father's agent, who normally handled philosophy tomes, was like, "Sure, I'll rep him," and uh, got me the contract with uh, Simon and Schuster. Um, and I spent a summer uh, writing, watching all the episodes. At 13 years old. Yes. So you're Doogie Howser of Star Trek. <laughs> now. The um yeah I yeah but this does, this does not come from memory right right, right because it's worth right. saying no there's no videotapes there's nothing right. you actually have to watch the episodes as they air there's no way to and the museum there, of TV and radio only had where no man has gone before if you because I was a kid I used to go there to watch it that's all they had in the collection so there was no TiVo there was just you know at the appointed time you turn on the television you watch the show mm-hmm. and there were the scripts ah uh, right yeah. so my mom and I took a trip 
to L.A., and I forget what the operation so where was. Where from? Were you up in the Bay Area? I've, at the time, I've been in San Francisco my whole okay, life. Okay, okay. Uh, so we come down to L.A., uh, and I do, do not remember the name of the place where you could buy scripts, but there was some Star hmm. Trek outlet or someone, you know, all these crazy store so Larry Edmonds sold at Hollywood Book and Poster, obviously Lincoln Enterprises. Lincoln so. Enterprises. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That was the catalog of my dreams mm-hmm. when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and we, we put 79 scripts with <laughs> in boxes uh, in the rental car and somehow managed to schlep them back up to San Francisco after, of course, my mom locked us out of the rental car. <laughs> <laughs> so I still have those scripts in my basement at home. For all 79 right. episodes. Now, here's the thing. Uh, yes. Um, I didn't know this when I was 13 years old, but the script and what airs... Different. Sometimes a little different. Yeah. And this is from the scripts. Right. Mostly. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. So that was the summer. That was my, my a misspent summer, just sitting down with a box of index cards and writing questions out longhand. I mean, and there's quite a, a, a number of questions. I think, yeah, here, it's listed. You have 703 questions in this book. Two scripts a day. And, 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 and when you guys... I think Mark called me, and I, I you 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 were like I could I could see that you were almost jumping up and down when you were calling me on the phone, and you're like, you're never gonna believe this, and I was like, well, what? And he's like, Rafe Needleman, like, got what happened? Did he get in touch with you? Like, how did how did somehow? And yeah. then, well, that is Rod. That was the crazy thing. Like a lot of these, you know, people we talk about, Luck and Bill, and. Uh, 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 the These are people we tracked down. We tracked down, right? <laughs> because we wanted to have them on the show. Rave Needleman tracked us down. <laughs> you don't track me down. I track you down. Well, he is the trivia expert and an Organian. <laughs> of course he could track That's us down. True. Oh, my God. It killed me that I was not in this episode. It, it yet, stabbed yet. me in the heart and twisted That's why it. That's so good. <laughs> well, yeah, that is what made it good. But it was no it, dick jokes. You know, it, 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 I think, but it spoke to something beyond, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. But I mean, how how we live in this kind of wonderful time where we, we saw fandom explode. I would say it began with not just for us; it began with Star Trek, but then it really moved into high gear because of Star Wars, and then pop culture, and and the fact that we got to live through it all. Like we yeah. really lived through this whole, this whole time, and mm-hmm. as we discuss it, as we've gotten older, you you can become friends with the people, like you know Mark Hamill on Twitter or something. You can talk to or find people that you never you can would talk have to the animals. Yeah, it was. It's been an incredible. Just imagine it, and they don't all have to be. They don't all have to be famous people. And Rafe Needleman was 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 somebody that I'd been thinking about for 40 years. Yeah. You know, who's this Rafe Needleman? Who is he to tell well, me? Well, he became with? a running joke on the show. Right. Where yep. We would joke, who is this putz who thought he was an Organian? <laughs> you know, because that's what, you know, it was like, we read this book as a kid and, you know, like, oh, the said, oh, he was, I read your he book. Was, he was so knowledgeable that his, he was an Organian. His, his byline on the book was Rafe Nealman, Organian. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it, we'd all read it. We all bought the book when, you know, Motion Picture came about. It was like another book that we, we, we never talk about. We didn't even talk about it on our Star Trek book episode, the Star Trek puzzle book, which was also like one of those oh, yeah. books at the time. I hated that, that book. But, but <laughs> we had no real connection to Star Trek. No. But, uh, 
But the, the rape mailman book, and we mentioned it a couple of times, and we were having, we, it became a runner, and we had fun. And then we started you know, asking each other questions from the book. And then all of a sudden, you know, to get this email from him, this is Rafe Needleman. <laughs> I hear you've been doing other Metrons. <laughs> yeah, Rafe Needleman, Metron. So um, you got to get that sh- 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 silver LeMay outfit. Um, but, uh, and then he said, you know, not, I really, you know, and we talked there. said, we, I just, we'd been trying to track him down to no avail. Yeah. And, and then yeah. and he had been listening in the car and he almost got into an accident because we, we had like, mentioned him. him in the podcast. Right. And he's like, they're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not like Shatner. It's like Shatner's listening. It's like, oh, we're talking about Shatner. You expect that, right? You, you expect it with the actors, the writers, but Rafe Needleman, some guy when he was 12 years old who wrote a book, trivia book in 1979. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and we had no so idea funny. that he was our age. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, had yeah, no yeah. idea until he told us. Yeah, and 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 of course this began, uh, you know, wonderful um, uh, uh, collaboration because we then had him join us in Vegas, right, where he wrote new questions for the first time in forty <laughs> years, uh, which we 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 asked that I want to point out that Scott Mance lost to uh, Laura Banks and <laughs> Hayes Honeysuckle. Yes, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, you know the 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 self-proclaimed transport lost to uh, to uh, a, a, a novice uh, hazel honeysuckle, and um, it was um, and it was just great, and it was great, and I hope that we'll have Rafe again have a visit with us again, Absolutely. and I, I think we'll be announcing him. If joining he is us indeed so. life from lifelessness, well, we're going to be in San Jose in um in in in, in August. I think he's right. going to be joining us there. Oh, so, great! Um, yeah, so that'll be. He'd be terrific, but um, uh, but that was a great episode. And I'm so glad it was a special episode for all of us. Uh, it's mythic, uh, Rob. It's that mythic you could be part of He's that. He's the Prime. Uh, yeah, yes. it, but again, I think that only this group of people <laughs> could have made that something like that happen. Um, and it's it's weird because you know it's it's like you were saying, it's how you see the world. And one of the things I've always felt fortunate with, like you guys, is meeting Mark, meeting you at the, uh, in 94 at the comic, at Comic-Con and finding out you were, you know, meeting the Mark Altman and I read your stuff <laughs> and then you started Sci-Fi Universe magazine and then Darren doing talk Trek and really meeting you and all of that. And then meeting Ashley along the way. And it's, it's, it's a certain kind of, you know, we've, we, we have a certain kind of fandom that led us to read. It's a Needleman. kind of magic. It's a, it's, it would not, it wouldn't let, not all fans would have found the road to Rafe Needleman. Let me tell you. No. <laughs> the road no, they to Needleman. Found that road. <laughs> and, you know, that's what I say. You I, some I, kind I, of I don't needle know who man. this podcast is for, but I know we do it for us at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. And, um, and we found that there are a bunch of people who are like us out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they worship at the it's like uh beneath the planet of the apes. They instead of the bomb, they worship Rafe Needleman. Um <laughs> All Hal Rafe. He's like Val. <laughs> okay, That's well I gotta tell you Rafe so, is hungry. This was truly the height of hubris uh for us to indulge in the final holiday countdown of our own show. No, like we did the it. height of hubris is quoting Free Enterprise in your closing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Doctorman. Can't get anything past you. Uh, number 10 was Type Trek, the Front, front Frontier. The front we gave frontier? it a. The, 
The Font Frontier. The Frumpy Frontier. Number nine was Kirk Out, the not so greatest generation with Brian Fort Sullivan. You know who he is, right, Darren? No, I do. The final fun tier. N- number eight was School Days, the Academy Years Revisited with David Lowry. Number seven will startle your senses with Murph Block. Six, oh brother, the ultimate Trek Sports Trek Five movie commentary, not to be confused with Oh Sister, the ultimate discovery commentary, oh, <laughs> which we never did and never will do. Number five, <laughs> The Real Ahura with Andrea Kindred. Number four, The Bible Episodes. Number three, New Humans, Love Coaches, and Feature. Oh my, the novelization. Number two, Asbel versus Doctorman, the ultimate Trek Six face-off. And number one, it's Organian Peace Treaty, finding a needleman in a haystack <laughs> with Rafe Needleman. <laughs> By the way, I'd just like to say uh, to Steve Asbel, Steve, you may be number two, but you're, you'll always be number one in our hearts. Just because you were in that episode, because you 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 weren't ha- right. you weren't absent to absent friends. That's um, right. Well, this is this is this is this is this is delightful. But more importantly, this brings us to an end of our night 2023 holiday countdown. Ten it's episodes, insane. And we have to get started on the 10. next one. <laughs> uh, well, we are going to do for those of you who can't get enough of these countdowns. We are going to do the um, holiday wrap up. Uh, we're going to un- do an unwrapping, a post mortem on the ten episodes where we're going to talk about give you a voice to talk about where you think we got it right, where we got it wrong. If we would change anything about these lists, um, maybe some, some things we might've missed, uh, we're gonna a, count little up. Look, a little, yeah, we're going to count up a little look behind the, behind the, the scenes of how these get put together. So, uh, if you just can't get enough of these holiday specials, we hope you'll join us next week where all four of us will return to do, uh, the postmortem. But until then I have to say, guys, I can't believe it's over. <laughs> that was on the cover right. of I think that was on the cover of the Sci-Fi Universe issue number two that I, as yeah, the reason is, we met that is correct takes us back see a lot of these reverend peppering with these deep yeah. cuts but you guys are flagging them every time I <laughs> try and drop them in it's Not like, deep that's enough, from Mark. Free Enterprise that's from Sci-Fi Universe it's like yeah 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 okay this is true but this was this uh, this was a great year of episodes and I, I kept it fresh, I think, by That's doing different it to subjects each week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and they're, they're subjects that you wouldn't normally think of, which I think are good. Yeah, I got to ask you before we, we wrap up, did you guys have a favorite? You know, was there a favorite one of these uh, in retrospect, uh, Rob? I like doing the music one with Bond just because I like Jeff and that was fun. Yeah, how about uh, how about you, Ashley? I gotta agree. Um, I, I, uh, no, actually, I'm not gonna agree because I do think that was great. But I think um, the episode that surprised me most um, was the merchandise episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah, that was it good just, too. It's very yeah. emotional. That was my favorite. Darren, that was my favorite yeah. because I, I had some uh, some epiphanies along the way in that one, which is uh, it, 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 interesting. It's interesting because I have a different experience recording them than I do listening to them. Because I think I'm the only one who actually listens to them after they're done. Right. Um, and, but that's because uh, you don't listen to them during the recording. Yeah, that's true. So. That's true. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but uh, I, I have to say, I, I, the music one to me was extraordinary, and a, a lot of that, most of that, is due to uh, Mark Rivera, who just did a beautiful job mixing that episode and and incorporating the music just 
perfectly into that episode. So that even if you weren't a fan or didn't know the music the way we do, you could really appreciate it. I, I've actually listened to that episode. I got to make an embarrassing admission more than once wow. because uh, it, it's really, uh, really terrific. Uh, I I have to say, um, I thought we, we, we our first episode was really strong, uh, Star Trek Seasons. Um, but I thought pop culture references, that was one that really surprised me. I didn't love it when we recorded it, but when I listened to it, I thought it was great. Well, that's good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really I, good. I enjoyed all of them. That's the thing. They're all enjoyable. And and uh, it's it's fun going so uh, so deep into our memories and recall to try and come up with interesting Recall, things. recall, recall. That's right. Yeah. You know, um, it's going to be really interesting next week when we get the letters out of the mailbag and the, the social posts and the Facebook. And so um, to, to what people were saying about the uh, the episodes, because people had very, very strong opinions about this year's list. Well, well they always they, do. They better be careful or we're going to do Nicholson from Batman on crap, crap, crap. crap. <laughs> well, we make podcast until somebody dies. It was interesting because I think when we did best 101 best movies sci-fi movies there was less of that because a lot of people hadn't seen a lot of the movies so it was more like oh you know and then last year with characters there were some strong opinions but this year i feel uh, you know and but 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 as i said a very people really really see these are all bite size enough to enjoy the meal well that's the thing too it's like tapas Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like tapas. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's what works too. Because and and, and it's interesting because I see that even with the with the the downloads, which have been huge. Um, but uh that people, you know, don't have to necessarily listen in order. They can go by the interest that they have in the subject. Um, because it's actually seasons was huge and then uh villains is down a little bit, and then at least at press time. And then for books, it goes back up again. So it's like you can see people like um, cherry picking, you know, what is of most interest. And then I think over the holidays, people caught up and now people are back to commuting to work. And now they're, you know, they're listening to these monster sized episodes. It's very interesting. But uh, the thing that amazed me about the holiday special, the first one, this, this um, the seasons was, you know, it's one of the, you know, after like a couple of two weeks, it was one of the highest downloaded episodes of the season. Wow. And we had some huge episodes with those Star Trek Picard episodes we mm-hmm. did and a couple other episodes we did. But the, the people were obviously waiting for the holiday specials because um, right out off the bat, that was, um, you know, w- was a giant episode, a monster of an episode. So anyway, uh, we're going to be back next week with the wrap-up. But this has really been terrific. I want to thank you guys. This is a lot of work. You devoted a lot of time and a lot of passion. Rob, it's been so great having you share this. Oh, well, thanks for bringing me back year. again. I, you know, we're, it's, we're it's happy to have you. So much fun. I think your insights and your expert expertise and your passion <laughs> is always very much appreciated. Your passion for trekucation. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Trekucation. You pass me, and I shall have you. Uh, okay, and and, uh, so and I'm looking trekked. forward to doing another year of great episodes, but that remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> on, uh, on, I want to thank again Mark Rivera, Peter Holmstrom, who have been uh, in getting these episodes to air, um, and of course uh, you for listening. And uh, if you're a fan, uh, you can always share your opinions with us on social 
at Inglorious Trek and Inglorious Trexperts on your favorite social channels, or email us at trexpertsplus at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with the final countdown, the final wrap-up. We unwrap the holiday lists. We're checking it twice to see if we got it right or if we're returning anything to the store. So uh, we'll find out. Um, but until then, on behalf of Robert Meyer Burnett, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Docterman, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course. See you next week. Shh.